Hey guys, welcome back to the Phil Kraft Survival Podcast. This podcast, I'm with Kevin Owens. What's up, Kevin? Hey, Mike. How's it going? We're doing ads, man. Okay. Hey, look, listen, we don't make a lot of money off this podcast. So we- stop skipping forward the ads. Listen to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, right? Listen to the ads. Um, but hey, I do want to say uh, I do appreciate our sponsors. In a world of COVID where we can't get anybody to pay for ads, uh, we have partners, not just ad space. And um, the partners that we advertise for, we truly believe it. Because mm-hmm. not, not only is their mission important, but we, we follow their products or we use their products or it's part of our uh, Philcraft life. So the uh, first sponsor is Killcliff. If you use Survival10, you save 10% off killcliff.com. They support the Navy SEAL Foundation. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Navy SEALs, Kevin? Love them. That sounded that sounded really <laughs> genuine, man. Like you admit that. Um, Killcliff.com supports the Navy SEAL Foundation. Um, they give a proceeds of all profit to them. I will say that Killcliff CBD is literally my favorite energy drink on the planet. It's awesome. Yeah. If I can keep it in stock. Yeah. If George didn't drink it all. If George wasn't chugging, butt chugging <laughs> those things. Uh, Killcliff.com, survival one zero, save 10%. Casey highlights use Philcraft to save 10% off KC Highlights. And that's K-C-H-I-L-I-T-E-S. So I put diesel. Uh, no, no, I put gasoline <laughs> in my diesel. And currently my completely badass rig that's built out for overlanding is on the side of the road. <laughs> did you see that thing? I did. You know the State Patrol called me. Did they? They did. Highway State Patrol called me. Because I was sitting there? You didn't hear that? No. So they called me and they're like, hey, Mike, what's up, man? what's up, state patrol? <laughs> and they're like, hey, we saw your truck was on the side of the road and just want to make sure you're good. Like, yeah, I'm good. Like, what do you mean? Well, we make sure you didn't go off in the wood line and off yourself. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Really? I was like, well, if I was going to go out, that's not how I'm yeah. going to go out. And they're yeah. like, ah, oh, and they laughed. And I was like, damn, Highway Patrol cares about me, man. Yeah. They're, they're supporters, you know. Yeah. We get pulled over just so they can interact with us. Mm-hmm. Um, big shout out to Utah Highway Patrol. Uh, thank you for all the men and women who serve in law enforcement. TriArcSystems.com. I started a tri-build, a tri-11 build, like 10 years ago. I actually, it was 10 years ago when I was a team sergeant. I started mm-hmm. that build and finally got done. TriArc Systems is so back-ordered and backlog because it's the best damn pistol made. Mm-hmm. You have a tri gun? No, you wouldn't you buy stole, me one. You're you too stole, cheap. You stole my truck gun. I stole your truck gun. I don't have a handgun. Uh, I'll get you a handgun. Yeah, I heard that before. <laughs> Ten years. That was hand job. Triarchsystems.com. <laughs> um, that's T-R-I-A-R-C systems.com. Use fill crap to save 5%. My hands down, I'll say this openly, hands down my favorite podcast, or favorite podcast, favorite pistol ever made is the Triarch Trial 11. Mm-hmm. The quality of build of that, you can't beat that. Yeah, it's beauty. Yep. You hear that? I do. What is that? I don't know. Did you just go with it? Yeah, drive on. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is you know, that? It's the shower. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Uncana. We've been talking about them. Me and Andy Stump talked about them. Uh, Philcraft20 at Uncana. Uncanna.com will save you 20% using Philcraft20. Look, 
there's natural cannabinoid receptors that are in your body. It's just how your body manages stress, pain, the list goes on, your central nervous system. Um, Canada.com makes CBD, the salve. Uh, they make, I mean, they do the topical version of it, the oral version of it. You like the oral version of it. <laughs> That's your favorite. I knew you couldn't resist oh, I couldn't, man. I couldn't bypass that. Um, but Uncan is my favorite uh, CBD. I use CBD to reduce stress. Um, you need to double your dose? <laughs> <laughs> I do, man. Oh, how'd you know that? <laughs> so you just did a podcast with our buddy, Doc Pete Chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be an amazing podcast. Yep. You guys are about to hear it. But um, Doc Pete Chambers actually has his own Veteran Alliance 501c3 that supports veterans. It's called Oval Lions. That's O V A L L I A N C E. Again, that's at O V A L L I A N C E, Oklahoma Veterans Alliance. Their mission is straightforward it's endeavoring to empower Oklahoma veterans with support, knowledge, and a voice. You guys can find them at www.ovallions.com. Um, doing a lot of good stuff for veterans. I mean, Pete Chambers, Doc Pete Chambers is a uh, lieutenant colonel, Doc, and a good old cowboy mm-hmm. who takes care of veterans, man. He's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. Great, um, pod- great podcast and uh, super interesting career. And uh, one of those guys that really wants to give back, you know. So, do you guys talk about um, his trans or not his transition, but him transitioning out of what he's doing now and working for Philcraft? Not really, really, not really. We 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 touched on some stuff. Uh, we we very very basically, yeah. We talked about you know the future and what's coming and exciting stuff coming with field cross survival, fate and and mental awareness and age management. You know that fucker's fifty five and he looks like he's forty. I know, you man. Know, he's in great shape. Yeah, yeah. he looks yeah. like me. Yeah, no, Just he's, he's better, he's better than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the fitter, not fat version of me is what he is. Uh, but the cool thing about Doc Chambers is. Um, it's not just about fitness. It's about holistic health and wellness. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he, he's he's not only um, really super in shape, um, but also he he teaches people how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ties it to good medicine, good practices. Um, what's cool about that in the human performance realm of Phil Craft Survival Fit is actually developing programs that aren't just chest and chi- uh, tries and back and buys. It's not just a workout program. Mm-hmm. But actually holistic. Yeah. I mean, I wish people would focus more on their sleep than they would worried about what they look like in the gym. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, all, it's all important. Yeah. And I'm yeah. saying that thinking about you because you're only sleeping like six hours a day. Who, me? Yeah, you ain't sleeping oh, good, right? No. No. But we, that's, we, that's common. I know. Right? I don't get good sleep either, None right? of us sleep well, yeah. Um, mm. And it's so important. Yeah. Way, but, to, way to depress the, <laughs> the most. I know, right? <laughs> We're tired, man. It's like, what time? Almost early. <laughs> I thought it was like midnight. It's 8.30. <laughs> it's bedtime. That's Phil Kraft's staff. That's a mandatory Phil Kraft staff thing. Yeah. We need to go to bed. Yeah. All right, man. Well, here we go. Doc Pete Chambers. Yep. Uh, and you talking for hours about his career, his experiences, and it's a great podcast. Yep. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Kraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. And today... I have a special guest, Pete Chambers, doctor. <laughs> Your resume is pretty impressive, Pete. So Pete is a lieutenant colonel in special forces. So he's an 18 alpha 
a special forces officer who's still in the National Guard, 19th group. Right. He's a medical doctor. He's a mm -hmm. combat veteran. And he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. So, uh, Pete, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. Yeah. yeah. we, we uh, So we're up in Montana. We're running a Citizens Resilience course. And I reached out to Pete about two weeks ago, and I said, hey, Pete, come on up here and help us run this course. So uh, you're going to do a whole – that's the thing about a guy like you, right? I can plug you in anywhere, and you can teach land nav and shooting and resilience and uh, all the stuff that we're doing here. So it's really great to have you. Yeah, so I, you know, it's kind of like uh, used to read the books on Machiavelli being a Renaissance man. Yeah, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little a bit jack of everything. all trades, master yeah, of none. Yeah, but, that's uh, a green beret, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a green beret. Yeah, absolutely. so, uh, so we're up here in a in, in a in a cabin up in, in Montana, in an undisclosed location. The course starts tomorrow, but we figured we'd sit down and have a chat. So I really appreciate you being on the podcast, sir. Good to be yeah. here. Yeah, we we've been talking about this for a, getting this done for a long yeah. time. So, um, yeah. Pete came in the army in 1983 right. and is pretty much still serving, right? Still serving. I, on my LES, our leave and earning statement, it says 36 years. Now, not contiguous active duty years, but guard reserve and active time, 36 years. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually very, very unusual to have a medical doctor who's also special forces qualified. So we're, we're going to get into that journey, but... Uh, Let's let's do what we always do and go back to the start and get some context. I, I know parts of this story. I don't know it all. So I'm super psyched for this. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So let's go back to the start, man. Yeah. Let, just g give me a general sense of where you grew up. Right. Kind of your early life and, right. and, and the values that instilled you were instilled in you early on and, and what kind of drove you to serve and, and who the big mentors and right. and uh, teachers in your life were for those early days. Absolutely. And, and you're... you're, you're Greek and Native American, right? Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a half breed. Yeah. And uh, you know, and, and 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 I really like you. You know, we were joking around the other day. And I said, "Well, Irishman," but you're like, "Well, I'm American." And I'm yeah. like, you know, that's that's me. I'm American. It yeah. doesn't matter what you know mm -hmm. my bloodlines come from, but it does in a sense that it it built me to who I am. Right. The, the way I think. But my dad, really, my my number one mentor. A tough, tough guy. Lived yeah. through tough times in Europe, at post-war Europe, uh, World War II, uh, civil war in Greece. Uh, a tough man. So I'll give you a little bit of his story, and that'll lead into mine. That'd be the best way to do okay. it. So he grew up in Greece. Uh, his his dad was a uh, World War II fighter, Greek army. Yeah. Uh, fought the Italians, pushed them back up into Albania. Uh, they the, Then the Germans came in, and they helped the Italians, pushed them back, pushed the Greeks back down. Mm -hmm. And then uh, their army was more or less disbanded. They didn't. They couldn't fight. So they went into partisan type fighting, the things that we teach in special forces in unconventional warfare. The partisan. Yeah. If you're uh, if you're a small country invaded by a, a larger country, well, your only option is almost to pull up into the mountains right. and fight a guerrilla war, right? And that's what they did. And and my dad, a young young child at the time, really more than anything, I, I think he was 10, 11 years old, twelve years old. Um, Still had to live with that. Still had to, to evade, and still was used kind of like a scout type of thing. Okay, you know, something like that, but really not official um, partisan. It wasn't until the uh, war was over in World War II that uh, they they went into a civil war between communists and and the more democratic government, uh, of which the communists didn't win and it did not become an Eastern Bloc nation. Yeah. So if you notice the Balkans above Greece, you yeah, know, all those nations were Eastern Bloc. And yeah, there was a lot of countries struggling with that after the war. You know, lots of. Does your dad remember parts of of that 
part of his childhood? Did, did he like recount well, he, stories? He would, and stuff? he would not tell me a lot. I learned more from his brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my, my grandfather took in a lot of orphans. A lot of families lost their parents. So he yeah. took in. And so I think my dad had eight or nine uh, brothers and sisters, but only three were blood related. And okay. the other ones were orphans. So what, what do you think he wouldn't stories. tell you about it? Do you think it was tough for him to talk about, or uh, did he just want to separate that from that you? That generation, much like ours, was uh, resiliency-wise, yeah. much tougher. Yes. Uh, they dealt with their demons differently than we do. Mm-hmm. They internalized it. They did whatever. They they may have drank. They may have done whatever. Uh, but he he turned his focus to work. Mm-hmm. He became a U.S. citizen. He, he actually, under the Marshall Plan, after World War II, they allowed certain people that helped Americans and help the cause, mm-hmm. uh, go to schools. And so they set up schools overseas. So in the Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica, some people call it, in northern Greece, he went to American agricultural school, learned how to be a farmer. Yeah. Came to America, uh, became a citizen legally, uh, worked as a farmer, uh, and also as a orderly in a hospital. He had two jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, married my mom, met her actually on the ship. She was on a vacation going to Europe, and mm. he was coming back as steerage class and you know, kind of like the, the Titanic story. Anyway, they meet. Uh, they didn't have Facebook in those days, so it was hard for him to find her, but they found each other, uh, got married, had had me in the States, and uh, he had a little horse ranch, and that's what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. But he had become, because he worked as an orderly, all, during that time, he had become a physician. So he was a family doctor in a small town. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he also had this this farm, uh, ranch, small, small farm, uh, goats, sheep, horses, chickens, mm-hmm. all that. And I grew mm-hmm. up taking care of all of it. Okay. Did did you know your grandfather? I knew him well. Yes. You did? Did he recant stories from, from the thing or did he, <laughs> he keep it all Nothing quiet? Nothing out of my grandfather. Man, same it, thing. I hear so, it from You the see, families. I did the same thing and you probably did too. I kept my, my family away from that side, the war side and right. all that, but I've started to open up more. It's important to tell those stories. Well, and, nowadays we know, and you know, me being a physician, I deal with a lot of the psychologic uh, trauma of some of the guys, even on the teams, even while they're on. Yeah. They won't talk to other guys that are not tapped guys or not yeah. special forces guys. Mm-hmm. They talk to me and say, Doc, you know, this is some um, suicidal or I'm this yeah, or I'm that. Yeah. And they would come to me and tell me. And I'd say, you know, what, what we've got to do is we got to start talking about some of this stuff. You don't have to recant the, the ugliness of it, but you can talk about what happened that day or yeah. whatever and just keep the <laughs> ugliness away from your family. But tell them some of this so they understand. Mm-hmm. And when their understanding gets built, then it then it then uh, there's healing. So we didn't have that with my dad or my grandpa. They just they bottled just it all up. Tough guys. Yeah. Tough guys. And I grew up knowing, knowing that I was going to serve in the military. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because of their their story, but also because of, uh, I had an uncle that was in Vietnam, and he was my hero. Mm. You know, a door gunner in a Huey, uh, I don't remember what years he was there, but, uh, you know, had a, a hard landing, you know, got a bronze star when they, bronze stars meant something, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I'm not saying with the B devices, but I'm saying the bronze star was, was significant in those days. Anyway, he... Those were my heroes. Those are the people I looked up to. But I also had my dad, who was the most patriotic man in the world, and every morning would say, God bless America, the greatest nation on earth, mm-hmm. every morning of my yeah. life. Yeah. And he, because he understood yeah. what yeah. America was about, yeah. and what, what we have. And he became a citizen. You know, He took his test. He did mm-hmm. all that work. You know, How many years? I think it was seven years then. Uh, but uh, you know, that, that patriotism was instilled, and, it, and I knew that when I finished high school, I was going to go in the Army. So really? I wasn't a great student, you know, C student. You know, I just barely get by, and I spent more time working with horses than I did mm-hmm. uh, working on academics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I would imagine your dad and your grandfather were probably, probably 
worked hard manual labor until yes. the day they died, right? There's my a dad, certain... Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was on a tractor. My dad, uh, the same way, he, he died tragically in 99 in a plane crash. It was his plane. Uh, but, you know, he loved flying, and that's what he did, and, and, and unfortunately we lost him, but uh, at an older age, too. And my grandpa, you know, came home working the tractor one day, 96 years old, took a nap, went to sleep, didn't wake up. So mm. these guys worked until the day they died. Yeah, literally. You know, yeah. And, and they yeah. never, and my dad would always say, never retire, never retire. Yeah. You know, do you, do you find something. that with, with uh, people like, uh, maybe not army guys or whatever, but they work hard all their lives and then they retire and six yeah, months absolutely. later they die? Absolutely. Yeah. Because they had yeah. su they're driven with such... There's no sense of purpose. Uh, purpose. Yeah. Is yeah. exactly yeah. it. And, and look for work. You know, the CQB rule, the close quarter battle rule, look for work. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was my dad's without me knowing that that's what that was at that time. Yeah. yeah. Look for work. You're, what are you doing sitting there? Yeah. Get over there and feed the goats or do this mm -hmm. or do that. And he was tough on me. Yeah. Not physically tough and not verbally abusive, never. But just there wasn't a lot of fluff yeah. with those guys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it made me mentally strong, made, mm -hmm. made me resilient. Mm -hmm. The thing that we're talking about now, this class. Yeah. Um, so the resiliency was something that was built in. And I saw these guys and I, I never, like an animal gets hurt, it doesn't feel sorry for itself. I never felt sorry for myself. I tried not to have pity parties, you know. Anyway. I go in the army at 17 I, to sign up. I had to go down with my dad, sign up. And uh, uh, by 18, I'm at, at Fort Benning, and I'm going to 11 Bravo School, which is infantry school. Mm -hmm. 83? 83. And I was in infantry school in September of 83. I believe that was the month when they jumped into Grenada. Oh. So here I am, you know, like, oh, good. We're going to have something to do. When yeah, we get. yeah. But Grenada happened in about 15 minutes. It was over. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And then there was nothing for, like, and a long 90, time. Until 91, maybe 90. You the know. Gulf? Well, no, then before that, I believe it was uh, the uh, Panama. Mm -hmm. uh, but these were simple, you know, not yeah. simple. They were uh, direct, small, direct quick, action, quick, small, yeah. uh, limited warfare. Mm -hmm. And so those things went really quick. So as a as a soldier, the first thing you want to do is you want to you're full of piss and vinegar, and you want to go fight everybody. You know, mm -hmm. you're a little uh, little attack dog, and uh, that's what we did. And if we didn't fight the enemy, we fought each other in the barracks. Yeah, you know, yeah. we went out to the bar and fought the Marines. Yeah, sorry Marines. Army was a different place back then. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so th that was my experience, and and uh, I wanted to be more than anything a special forces guy. Then yeah. I'd seen the old John Wayne Green Beret movie mm -hmm. back in the '60s, I believe '70s. And then uh, Rambo came out, and I actually saw it in the movie theater. I'm, I'm old. And uh, I'm like, that's what I want to do. Mm. And so I had a track that I had built. I'm going to go be a ranger first, and then I'm going to do that. Well, I was an infantry guy in Hawaii, and uh, we did a lot of jungle warfare, a thing that we've now since not remembered how to do anymore. Mm. We're gonna... You probably had a lot of Vietnam guys teaching that stuff, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Sergeant yeah. First Class Jesse Canales, great yeah. guy. Every day he would tell me, he'd say, Chambers, don't cry, bitch. <laughs> I remember that to this very day. Now I use it with my young troops. Yeah. Don't cry, bitch. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Sergeant Cook, both Vietnam vets, uh, tough guys, tough guys. Uh, they called me out. I got off the bus at Fort Benning. First, first bus drive. You're coming in. It's raining. It's 2 in the morning. There's all these guys, rangers, standing out there. And I was pulling our bags off, running out there. Everybody's got this story their first day. And we're in a front-leaning rest. It's raining. And then I hear my name being called by Sergeant First Class Canales. Chambers, Chambers. I'm like, jump up. I don't even know how to stand at attention yet. And so I'm now back down doing push ups. But he's like, my best friend in Vietnam, he got his head blown off. His name was Chambers. You're going to be a platoon leader. Hmm. So he had looked at the roster yeah. and he picked me because yeah. he didn't have anybody yet. Yeah. So here I'm E1 and I'm leading these guys around. And, you know, it was my first experience at real leadership. Yeah. 
and uh, having to deal with personalities because when the cadre would walk away, the, the sergeants would walk away and go to their office. Yeah. Now these guys are acting up. They're like, you're nobody. Mm-hmm. You're just a private like us. I'm like, I had to learn to exert authority yep. that they had given me. That's a good thing about the military because like in civilian world, you climb the ladder and climb the ladder and climb the ladder, right? But in, in the military, they're like, you're in charge. You're in charge. Nah, make yeah. it work. You know, figure you it out. Yeah. And if you don't, because I watched other platoons, they would fire their guys. Yeah. And that was the last thing I wanted. Yeah, yeah. And here I am, 160 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. And uh, I'm leading all these guys. Some of them are just huge dudes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. man, I got to line this guy out, really? Yeah. You know, and then we might have done some things that were nowadays frowned upon as, you mm-hmm. know, maybe a little bit of a blanket party this or that. Uh, it wasn't right, but, uh, you know, it lined people out pretty quick. And uh, and, it, and I learned a lot about mm-hmm. leadership uh, mm-hmm. more than anything, about people. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a, in a rural environment, and here I'm talking to people from cities and this and that, and, and color didn't matter. Your race no. didn't matter. No. Everybody was, you know, back in those days, OD green, all yeah. grab. Yeah, me and Mike uh, have talked about that, yeah. you know. the um, There's all all kind of races, obviously, in, in, in the uh, military, and especially in special operations, yeah. and they're oh, your gosh. brothers, man. Nobody cares. It's not even part of the conversation. And we tell jokes that, yes. that would get you fired in a civilian oh, job, but it, it's all fun, right? It's all yeah. it's all because we're, we're, we're brothers in arms. Some of my best friends, and some of which I've put in body bags personally, you know, a uh, different race than me, it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, that yeah. blood is the same. Yeah. Good guys, good guys. It's the same color. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the same yeah. color. And, uh, and they would they would do for you the same way. They'd die for you. And Absolutely. I know they have. I had one do that for me in 04. Mm. So, you know, that that's where you, where it started. That was my building block, mm-hmm. that initial. So I go and I go to a program called RIP at the time, uh, Ranger Indoctrination Program, I believe. It's now it's RASP, RASP maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I get through that, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go be a ranger. This is going to be great. You know, I'm going to be one of the first 25th ID scouts. You know, we're, we, back then they call them LERPs. They want us to be ranger qualified. Mm. And then when I finish here, then I'll go be a ranger. And then I'll work my way to, to SF because I didn't know anything. Mm. And I get through RIP, and then we do a jump, and I break my lank- ankle on a, on a night jump. Mm. You know, full combat equipment, you know, high winds, and I wasn't very good at parachuting. Never have been. I hate it. Mm, I hate, I it, hate too. it. I tell people it's like <laughs> hundreds of jumps. You tell me I, I got to get like... in a taxi and drive across New York City. I'm gonna hate it just the same. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. where I'm at. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. I learned a little bit through the years, but I've still had. It's like bull riding. You know, we, in bull riding, we say it's not if you get hurt; it's when and how bad. Yeah. And a yeah. shoot can malfunction, and I've had it happen. I broke my back in 2012. We'll get to that that little story, but uh, it. Uh, you know, it, it builds confidence. It does a lot of other things. It gets you the objective. But in 1985, when I broke it, it got me out of airborne status, unfortunately, because mm. I had hardware. And back then, if you had hardware, you couldn't jump. Mm. I don't know. The rules have changed now. I don't know when they changed, but uh, you can take the hardware out if you can. And if it's not crossing in a joint space, et cetera. So here I am, distraught. My 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 dreams of becoming a Grand Bray have been shattered. And it created this like unfinished business mm-hmm. that we're going to get to. And we'll, we'll yeah, that part. yeah. This unfinished business. But anyway, I, I do my time. I get out. I'm taking college while I'm in the army at that point. Cause I got more time on my hands and, and, uh, my Lieutenant, uh, can I, can I give a shout out to a Lieutenant? Friend Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Became a Colonel, retired Colonel Lieutenant, uh, uh, Jeffrey Terhune became Colonel Terhune. Uh, good old boy out of Tennessee, uh, West Point graduate. One of the best officers I ever had. He used to call me in his office all the time. I impersonated him one time, and I was wearing his uniform in Korea. Where I'm walking around, checking the guard shacks, messing around with my buddies. Mm-hmm. I got this lieutenant thing, and he caught me. What are you doing wearing my uniform? You know how much trouble you can get in? Mm-hmm. He never did anything. He A lot of push-ups, 
we became friends. And he pulled me in before I was getting out and going to the next unit. And he said, Chambers, you need to go to college. You're a smart kid. I'm like, I'm 11 Bravo, sir. I'm a grunt. I don't mm. know anything. I can pull a trigger. I can, you know, shoot a tow system. I can, you know, mortar or whatever. I can do that stuff. No, you're going you're gonna to make something someday. And, they, and it came full circle, and I'll tell you when I, when I get that part of the story. But that was my, that was a mentor, a key moment. And, th and that's the thing. If isn't, there's that, anybody, isn't that crazy? Like that one conversation one will pivot your career, career. in a completely different your life. Was, he knew I was devastated. Me and you wouldn't I, be sitting right here yeah. now if that hadn't happened. Right. It's crazy. And there would be guys that, that might not have made it off the battlefield had exactly. I not become a doctor. Yes. And yeah. then they're on yeah. the next. Yeah. But the, but, so his words to me changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you think about that. I always find and, that fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and stories and, and where I ended up and who I, whatever, all that, all that, uh, cascade of changes. But, uh, okay, I'm going to try college. And back then it was the veterans education assistance plan, the beat before the GI bill, the new GI bill. So I get the veterans education plan. I get out, I go into the reserves and I go to college, finish it up. And then, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna be a doctor like my dad. Mm. I think that'd be neat. Here I am. You know, I was taking criminal justice classes because I don't, maybe I'll be a cop. I was never really good at planning for my own life. Yeah. Things just kind of happened. I wasn't either. You know, you know? I just kind of yeah. rolled to the next. Yeah. 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 And that's once again brought us here. Uh, fate, uh, fate or uh, providence. But uh, I was going to be a cop. So I'm taking criminal justice, but I'm interested in medicine stuff. So I had to take a biology class. So I'm like, man, I can be a doctor. I'll try this. So I go and I take the prerequisites for medical school, but I got a criminal justice degree so yeah. to be a cop because I was thinking I'd be an FBI or a Texas Ranger one day. It's really what I wanted to do. And uh, I applied to a medical school, several of them, and I get accepted to a couple of them, and I go to the interview. And I'm waiting in the room with 30 other people, and there's only three seats left at the school, University of New England. There's three seats left. And... Uh, Guy comes out and says, all right, come in, Chambers. And I'm, they're asking me questions. Why do you want to be a doctor? you got nothing on here. Infantry guy, paratrooper, you know, uh, criminal justice major to be a doctor, really? Well, I like people, and uh, my dad was a doctor. You know, I don't have the right answers. You know, mm -hmm. I'm still young. Okay, yeah, I go wait in the hallway. So I leave, and then about 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, this old doctor, the chief of staff, Hadley Hoyt, looked like Yoda, you know, little bitty short guy. He mm -hmm. comes out, he says, Chambers, come here. Listen here, motherfucker. He says, I was a Marine at the Chosen Reservoir. Those motherfuckers in there can kiss my ass. I'm going to put you in. I like you. Mm. You're going, but you better not fuck up. Mm. Roger. And I'm like, yes, sir. I'll, mm. I, will, I will do the best I can to finish. And I graduated med school. Med school mm -hmm. cause what, the, what year? Cause the, uh, this would have been 1996. Were you still in the reserve at that point? No, I had got out of the reserve in yeah. 90. Uh, okay. So I was in the inactive ready reserve. Yeah. So that's part of those years that just was unaccounted for. Not unaccounted for. It would be more uh, break in service, I guess. Yeah. 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 Was still, nothing, there was nothing going on back there then. Was the Clinton Army. The yeah. Army had been gutted financially. And and because uh, yeah. I was, I came in in 96 too. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I, I kind of know the personality of the military at that point. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah, you understand that mm -hmm. was a, a weird time. I, I debated it at that time. But then three years later, 9 11. Yeah. Four years later. Oh, one. Five years, actually. Five years later, yeah. yeah because yeah, I was yeah. in residency, and here's the funny part. I'm in residency because I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, be a doctor, I'm going to make some money. Yeah. So I'm going to go be a cosmetic surgeon. Oh. You know, this will be cool. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm doing everything for the cool guy factor. Yeah. You know, I was single at the time. I'm going to meet, meet some girls. I'm going to make <laughs> some money. You know, this is going to be cool. 
I drive a cool car. I'm going to have horses. I'm going to have a horse farm, all this stuff in my mind. And, uh, but it, there was still something missing. Yeah. I was still not satisfied with it. It's that. like a void, right? It's, it's like a void. void. Because like... there's job satisfaction in it, but there's nothing like the job that I ended up with. Fulfillment. Not even, yeah. not even close. And the mm -hmm. amount of money that I made as an army doctor was nothing compared yeah. to what those guys make. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. But yeah. the money didn't matter. I was, I learned that from my dad, even though he, he was wealthy to me, you know, and he ended up being wealthy. Uh, he, he was the American dream. Yeah. But he always said, do what you like. He said, and I remember him saying, if you're a street sweeper, and I'll, I'll do it in his Greek accent. If you're a goddamn street sweeper, you'd be the best goddamn street sweeper that I ever saw. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'll do the best job I can at whatever it is. Yeah. And that's what got me through infantry school, really. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I was raised by my sergeants, really, mm -hmm. and my dad in that sense. But the sergeants really taught me the work ethic of military. And I was the best guy throwing grenades that day. So mm -hmm. I got a little bar on my thing that said expert grenade. Like, how do you get expert in grenades? I know, right? Like, what, yeah. like baseball? I know, yeah. Throw strikes? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so I got that. You know, I got expert rifle. Ba it's, expert bayonet, too. Bayonet. Yeah. How do you get expert in I bayonet? Know. I, know. I stuck it with such <laughs> anger. <laughs> you got an expert. But it's funny. I, I've seen that in the military a lot, especially in the infantry. When a young soldier comes in, if he goes into a, if he's working for a good, solid squad leader who yeah. trains him and mentors him, he'll re-enlist and stay in the army. If he works for a dirtbag, yeah. which there are in every MOS in, in the military, he'll get out after three years. He, he, he just he doesn't get that leadership and mentorship he was looking for, and he gets disillusioned and, and moves on. Yeah, and I'm going to say that's 90% of it. And then for the other 10% of us, there's some unfinished business. Yeah. There's something inside of you, there's something inside of me that says, there's something bigger than me out there that I've I got to be part of. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it is yet. Yeah, but you find it when you get there. Yeah, and it's usually yeah. on a team. And you know when when yeah when things fall into place, you, know. you know. And then when you leave that team, yeah, or that world, yeah. Now you you don't know what. To yeah, do. there's a void again. Exactly. And I remember exactly that time when when we were in heavy combat in Iraq, and I was on the same team as Mike, and. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Right. This is where right. everything has led to yeah. here, yeah? And that's why guys have such a problem when they, when they move on past team yeah. life. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, we, you know, we're doing uh, medical school, residency, cosmetic surgery, and uh, I actually said I'm going to join the reserves. So I joined the reserves again as a doc, mm -hmm. you know, just a general practitioner doctor. Yeah. At least wear a uniform again, feel yeah. good about myself, mm -hmm. to me. Be part of I'm something. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it definitely was for me. Mm. Uh, because I belonged and it wasn't the same people, you know, here I am, uh, you know, like, yeah, their doctors are kind of soft, but okay, I'll, I'll work with them, you know, and they're great people. Mm -hmm. I mean, they love people. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit rougher than most docs. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I was raised a little differently. So I, I was a good <laughs> ER doctor, you know, yeah. I ended up, uh, spending most of my time in the emergency room, but, uh, cause I could fix a problem, move on to the next. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to hear the whole story about their grandma and this and that mm -hmm. family practitioners do a good job of that. Yeah. Um, so I, part of my reserves, I had to go up and do Groton, Connecticut to the undersea medicine course. I wanted to be a dive medical officer. And while I'm up there, 9-11 happens that morning. Mm. All right. I, we leave from there, all medical personnel that are qualified. I had advanced cardiac life support courses, all these things that I had trauma training show up to the helipad. We're going to fly to ground zero. So we flew to the docks and then we went to ground zero and for three days. I worked at Ground Zero. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, any health issues with that that air? That no, the, because we yeah. went in with pretty heavy, you know, yeah. uh, masks and things. Yeah. We, were, we we were prepped. Yeah. People that were down there didn't have a clue 
what no. was going to happen. They would run around with just their T-shirt over their face. Yes. Uh, we would give stuff out. We would do ventilation treatments for firefighters. There was nobody to work on that was left alive. Yeah. You know, and yeah. By the time we got there 12 hours later after the planes had hit, uh, there was nothing to do other than support for the workers. Yeah. And we only did three days until the actual FEMA response came in. Yes. As, th- as those So you were like an emergency in, response? We were just like, hey, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. There was so much confusion back confusion. then, too. Nobody knew what the hell was going yeah. on. Yeah. Didn't have a clue. And at Groton, it's a submarine base. So it's a submarine base. And when we got back to Groton, uh, I'm going to back up just a second. The resolve that day of whoever these people are, I'm going to get. Once I found out what happened, now I'm like, there's resolve. Yeah. There's somebody that did this to us. Yeah. And we're going to go back. And yeah. we're going to get payback. Yeah, a lot of us and, thought that and way. And some of that you got to be careful with because you don't want to turn into hatred and vengeance. Yes. Because if you do that, then it eats you up. And I learned that too. Mm-hmm. I went through that dark phase in my life mm-hmm. well later on. But uh, I get back to Groton and there's a there's a sign there, you know, shoot high, he's ru- he's riding a camel. You know, there's an old cowboy saying, shoot 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 low, he's riding a Shetland. Well, the camel's a lot higher, so yeah. it's a shoot high, he's riding a camel. Let's cross the bay there. They, they already knew they were going to the Middle East. Yes. And they knew they were going, we didn't know Afghanistan, but, you know, we yeah. And I wasn't in any special operations at the time. It was just a general medical officer. But then I thought, I got to get in the fight. So that was the next step. How do I get in the fight? Because I'm not going to do this here as a reservist. Mm. And so I uh, went to a special operations medical association meeting in Tampa, Florida. I met a doctor there, Colonel, who was just about to retire, named Rocky Farr, original MACV saw guy, Vietnam 18 Delta, uh, which is a special forces medic. I meet him. And uh, he says, come in to the uh, 19th group in Utah. Mm. So that's where I went. Wow. I went to the 19th group in Utah, and it was a national wow, guard full unit. circle, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> now here I am, <laughs> you know? like, all yeah. this weird stuff. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I go to this convention, I meet this guy, because I wanted just to learn stuff. I want to learn about trauma medicine in the, con- in the uh, military sense. So I found this convention. Anyway, so I get to there, and then I do what's called J-SETS, Joint Combined Exchange Chaining Programs. J-sets take green berets, put them down range under the one of the uh, programs that we have that uh, is to help other governments protect themselves, train themselves, whatever. Uh, Foreign Internal Defense, FID, one of our uh, main lines of effort. We have unconventional warfare, FID, uh, direct action, weapons of mass destruction, all the other things. But but truly, the, the bread and butter for the traditional Green Beret is unconventional warfare and FID. Yeah, go in, in there a, and, in a and build an army almost. Build yep. an army, mm-hmm. train an army. And then also, like the couple that I went to with uh, the 19th group, because we were a PACOM element, which is Pacific Command, so we went to uh, uh, to Nepal and a couple oh, times. Cool. I've, I've been there four times now, but... Uh, and we would train with the Gurkhas and with the Nepalese Rangers and high altitude stuff. And of course, then they would pick our brain about CQB, mm-hmm. close quarter battle, things like that. Planning, always want planning, military decision making process, which is the nemesis of any AT Alpha mm-hmm. uh, or, or special forces <laughs> officer. But anyway, so I did that. And then uh, a job came along where they were asking for a doctor to go down range with the 1st Cavalry Division and the 3rd BCT, Brigade Combat Team. And uh, I just. To, to what country? To, to Afghanistan? Iraq. Oh, right. Iraq. Okay. Afghanistan, I just couldn't get in there. I tried, but, mm-hmm. you know, we just, we had sent some ODAs, but they wouldn't send anybody at battalion level, my level. Yeah. And so here I am sitting on the fence again. Yeah. And I see my first opportunity, and they ask for a volunteer, and 
This was nationwide from the National Guard Bureau. Mm. What and, year? Uh, it would be 2004. Okay. So early on in the Iraq War, because yeah. 03 was when they went in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but into it, and then the first Fallujah, you know, that happened around that time, May, uh, April, May, 04. But anyway, uh, first calf. So I get back, and now I'm in an infantry unit again. Mm. With these kids that I love, because I'm looking at me. I'm looking at, you know. So you, the battalion surgeon? So I'm the battalion surgeon okay. for a, a, a National Guard unit out of Washington State. Okay. Who was attached to the 1st Cav. Yeah, part and, of that and Iraq, Iraq, that was early, but it was starting to ramp up at that point. The oh, insurgents absolutely. were starting to hit convoys and, yeah. So, they, yeah, and I'm going to, there's, there's a particular piece here that's going to come to light that's going to show that. Because we didn't, when we went out of the gate... And we did a lot of neighborhood things, you know, neighborhood advisory councils, things like that. Go meet people, building clinics, building rapport. Uh, fifth group was there at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second Battalion Fifth Group was there at the time, Special Force Unit out of Kentucky. And they were uh, not too far away from me from where I was. I was in a big blown up palace, uh, one of Uday Kusei's palaces, I don't know which, hit by like five JDAMs. This thing was destroyed. Yeah. And that's where we set up. There was no... There were no, uh, what do you call them, fobs at that time. Mm-hmm. It was just you set up camp and you defended it. Yeah, we were, we were also feeling our way. It was right. a different war than Afghanistan, and it was uh, it was much more urban than yeah, Afghanistan, and, and we were trying to, you know, you, you know, your Rumsfeld said at the time, you go to war with the army you have, and he got hammered for it. He's right. You go there, yeah. you, you, we'd been training for years, and you were in to fight the Russians in, right. in the, 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 the... Folger Gap. Folger Gap, yeah. right? That was all NTC and all oh, that. Yeah. It was big all tank the, battles and all stuff. All the, the, the mannequins that I stabbed with that bayonet were yeah. Russian soldiers. Yeah, you this yeah, hammer yeah, and yeah. On the yeah. You trained for the last war, right? Yeah. That's what they say. So we went into this insurgency, and, and we weren't really prepared for it, and our vehicles weren't prepared, and they weren't armored, and, and you know we, we learned as we went, yeah. and, and that's just life. Yeah, and, and, and it's exactly, because what, what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's what you got. Yes, you know, yeah. If yeah. I show up and I'm wearing cowboy boots, but I got to go run a race, well, I'm running the race in cowboy boots. Yeah, and right? then you'll change afterwards. Well, I'll change afterwards learn, and I'll yeah. do with my blisters. Yeah, we went from, my team went from uh, <laughs> long-range patrols in Afghanistan, came back a couple of months oh, later, went yeah. to Iraq, and we're like, all these fuel cans on the outside of the vehicle, not going to work in Iraq. You're just adding to the IED oh when you get gosh, hit, yes. you know? Yeah. Yes, Sorry, yes, go ahead. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, so... That, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's learning, you know, your, your SOPs become TTPs and then you got to learn theirs. Yeah. And then as they learn yours and they change their, their battle, TTP uh, te- techniques, tactics, practices, um, you learn theirs, they learn yours, and you're always modifying mm-hmm. it. You're always changing. So one of the things we did in convoy operations during that time, we weren't experiencing a lot of IDs. Mm. So we didn't have really an SOP for it because you didn't have the numbers that came on after that. Yeah. One of the first complex attacks where you have light, small arms and IED initiated yep. was the convoy that I was on in 2004. It was 12th of May. Uh, the grid coordinate was Mike Bravo, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You can look it up. And there's a, uh, there's a, there's a uh, highway that comes down and, and as it clover leaves off, they hit us right on the clover leaf. So here we are, three vehicles, light skin, was it yeah. a supply convoy or was no, it moving from one? No, we were going out one... that morning to do a neighborhood advisory council meeting. So here's mm. me in the center vehicle with all the antennas on it. Mm-hmm. A vehicle in the front, uh, 50 cal, 240 in the back, or might have been vice versa. I get a little hazy about it. Um, and then my truck. Soft skin vehicle? Soft skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we armored a crap out of stuff in 05. Like 
homemade armor, yeah. and then we started getting the yeah. armored vehicles after that. But so you, as the convoy commander, I assume right. the highest ranking guy on the thing, but at least you had an infantry background, right? right. I had as that. opposed to almost none of the other right. medical personnel. And the and we had a lieutenant with us too, a ranger lieutenant up front. Mm-hmm. A guy named I'll say his name because he's out now. Wade Albin, great kid. Mm. He ended up being the Texas Guard with me afterwards, but uh, Wade. Uh, made some great decisions that day too yeah. because my comms, I didn't have comms. I got on the radio, IED goes off. It's a 155 howitzer round buried in the road, mm-hmm. right? That can create quite an explosion. Luckily, we took an inside t- loop on it and it just hit the back left Was tire. it pressure pad or command detonator? Command detonator. Yes. Uh, and it, uh, so it was a little bit offset. Mm. So we drive a little bit. It blows up after the tire's off of it, I, I assume, but the truck still lifts up in the air. Uh, the but lead, comes back lead truck? My truck, the middle truck, oh. the one I'm in. Okay, yeah. yeah. My gunner, uh, Jeff Shaver, you know, sergeant, good medic, and, and uh, he uh, was killed instantly. The driver ended up not making it in the, over time. Uh, and I'm, then, I'm uh, sorry, what kind of a truck was this? It was a Humvee. It was a Humvee, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah, Humvee. And uh, light skin, it had, we had put some plates in behind the seats and things like that and on the doors, but, yeah. you know. Was, did, did the gunner have a chicken plate? No. Even, yeah, I see him. When, when Wide you, open. Yeah, when you open. think about that, I drove all over Afghanistan, no, oh, chi- yeah. no chicken plate. Chicken plate's the armor in front of the right. gun. Oh, no. And you're, you're on that 50, no. you're the first guy they shoot at because they want to take down that ca- mass casually producing weapon, yeah. right? And when I think back about no chicken plate, I'm like, oh my God, what are we thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So we were marshalling. I'm going to back up just one second for the rest of this IED story. We were marshalling at the Kuwait border to go to Baghdad. And I'm in a Humvee, opens, open, no doors, yeah. no nothing. Mm-hmm. There's a 50 cal on the, on the mount. And I look at the, the kid behind me. I said, hey, you set the headspace and timing on that thing? And he looked at me with this like question look. Yeah. He didn't know what like, it was? You don't know what that is. Oh, do you? my God. He was a mechanic. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm riding with the, uh, the you know, the the extra guys coming in afterwards to go up and then they had offered me to fly to Baghdad. Mm-hmm. They said, Doc, you're an asset. We're going to fly you up there. I'm like, no, I'm going to come in with the infantry. I'm mm-hmm. going to come up through the desert. So I got up on the 50 cal. I fixed it, got it running. And then I rode from that point all the way to Baghdad through the desert. Mm-hmm. A couple of rainstorms, you know, looked like a sugar cookie when I got up there. Mm-hmm. Got into one tick, uh, nothing close range. Tr- take his troops in contact. Uh, yep. Yeah, one, gunfight. Yep. One gunfight. And, uh, you know, kind of got me jazzed. As a matter of fact, I remember I had quit dipping Copenhagen, and then right after that was over, like, anybody got any Copenhagen? <laughs> I'm going to start again. Because, uh, you know, you're not, you know, for me, uh, being a doc, I hadn't experienced anything like that. Obviously, in the, the Army that I grew up in, we hadn't been in real contact. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than the guys in Grenada and Panama and the Gulf War, which I was in school. So we're driving up there. We get there, um, and uh, then we're going to, Back, go back to this 12 May yep. incident. Mm-hmm. Vehicle blows up. Uh, we had an SOP for it, but we really didn't know. And I, so I I'm, I'm sorry, SOP is standard standard operating, operating procedure. procedure. So yeah. you have these drills where, okay, if we get hit, we're going to do this, this, and right. this, because there's no time to figure it out, right? No. You go into a battle drill and you, you do what you've rehearsed over and over and over right. again, right? right? But you guys probably hadn't rehearsed it that no. much because you didn't know we each have, other. We didn't know yeah. the different types yeah. of possibilities. Yeah. Are we going to yeah. push the truck, pull the truck? Is yeah. it on fire? We got to yeah. burn the radios. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? So we just know, get off the X. We're yes. going to get off the X. Well, getting off the X wasn't as easy as you think. When you got two tires on fire, yes. they're wobbling. Yeah. I'm on the radio trying to call, but my antennas are blown off, but I don't know that. Yeah. You know, So I'm sitting there not making comms. But luckily, you know the, the thing we talk about, the PACE plan, yep. primary, alternate, contingency, emergency. I had a Motorola sitting here that uh, 
would uh, at least give us something vehicle to vehicle. Yes. So I talked to Wade Aubin up front, the LT, and I said, Wade, call in this grid coordinate. Now, this is before Blue Force trackers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before Blue Force trackers. So what do we do? Map. Yes. All right. So we get off the X, we stop for a second, regroup, look at a map. Yeah. Chris is my grid. We're calling for the sheriff now, you know, close air support and, yep. the, and the ground uh, QRF, quick rea reaction force or response force. And that well, was... You, you, uh, I assume you were rattled from like, that IED oh, going off. Gosh, yeah. So yeah. It, it went through the vehicle and it took the windows out. And then when you, when you get it, when you experience an explosion, I'll tell you firsthand, there's this negative pressure that all of a sudden comes, takes all the air out of your lungs. Yeah. And, and I was hit peppered by some shrapnel, but not bad, but it, um, it was gone. I thought I was hitting the lungs. I truly couldn't breathe. Mm. And I remember being tunnel visioned. I remember just seeing just a little part of the dash. Yeah. And just w looking were at you it. wearing the pro? Uh, we were wearing, uh, before then, it was those combat earplugs that now there's a lawsuit on. Oh, or yeah, yeah. That <laughs> don't work. <laughs> that don't yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. So we had those. Uh, we didn't have Peltors. You know, uh, comms were all done, you know, just audible in the vehicle. Yeah. You know, you hang the, the mic there and it, it would, you know, the speaker would be in the, in the vehicle. Um, but the windows went out and then they came back. So now the window's on top of me because then once that negative pressure needs all that to fill with air again, that air comes back in from outside and it pushed that window on top of me. Mm. Well, that's what hit the driver and then ended up being a, what you call a contra coup lesion hit in the back of his brain, ends up having problems later on and ends up dying. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the gunner and the driver died. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So don't you, don't you? I, I, I know how mentally I think about stuff like that, but as you go through combat like that and you, you walk away, um, like we can get to it later, but you know, do you have like survivor's guilt? And then do you, do you mentally think at the time, look, if I die, I die. If it's my time, it's my time. And there's nothing I can do about you transition, it. I That's kind of where pages. I was. Mm -hmm. Is that how you thought Absolutely. at the time? Or were you, were you mentally prepared for that no because that was really no. your first incident where people were trying to kill first you. time out of the gate yeah i had just left actually i just left a safe house where the fifth group guys were hung out hanging out and picked up uh, some stuff that they were going to give to us to take down there to help us with winning hearts and minds mm. so they were helping me because they knew i was an sf doc and they mm. were like oh we're gonna they kind of brought me in because i'd take care of them too yeah i did yeah. house calls on all those safe houses yeah i yeah. would go there and you know make sure they had what they need yep you know and if there was a little booze involved i don't know i, I didn't see uh, that would never happen you know, never SF, happened. Yeah. yeah you know sergeant major would yell there's all these beer cans outside of your your hooch doc i'm like i don't know who put them there yeah you know? yeah you can put an sf guy under the, the top of mount everest and he would find beer oh you know? yeah yeah these were foster's loggers and uh, yeah. amstel that was oh, all yeah. you could get yeah. in in, in baghdad at the time and it was an exorbitant amount of money because mm. it was a black market but anyway we don't want to get into that so uh, getting off the X and then I get out to, cause the driver's not thinking right at this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get out of the vehicle, AK around, hits the door, goes in my arm, comes through my So arm. let me ask you this. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be interrupting yeah. your, your train of thought, but yeah. this is one of the things we're going to do on this course. We're mm. going to teach people after a couple of medical classes, how to fight off the X and how to gunfight and treat medicine, treat casualties at the same time. So is your focus now as a leader, as a doctor or as a uh, a gunfighter are you thinking yeah, i'll tell you exactly uh, you know where I, mean? I was yeah. i was in gunfight mode you are it was just because of the the honestly you fall back to your training yeah you can talk about rising to the occasion nobody does yeah it was survival mode yes and uh, i had no real uh sop standard operating procedure mm -hmm. because i didn't we didn't pa practice that battle drill. no no we didn't practice it mm -hmm. and, and i didn't definitely as a doc from a reserve unit who had been in sf 
yeah, I'd played around with the ODAs and gone out and done stuff with them, but I didn't have that formal training. Yes. Yep. I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I had nobody else had, training. Nobody else in the convoy had really. Nobody had it. Yeah. Not really. Not really. And th- not at that level. Not when you're talking about a complex attack with yeah. PKMs and uh, a- AKs and, you know. Uh, Initiated with an ID. Yeah. A big ID. Big yeah. ID. And uh, so here comes the sheriff, and, and we're, we're driving out. Uh, I got wounded, but I didn't know I was bleeding. You know, and then one of the guys was like, hey, Doc, you're bleeding. And uh, I put on a tourniquet on myself. Mm-hmm. It's called a mat tourniquet. I remember I had it in my pocket. It's a big, bulky thing, and it was terrible. But that day, it was good. Yeah. Because it was one that you could self-apply, and it had a ratcheted device. Mm. Put on my left arm, ratcheted it, and then was able to put my open window. was window was gone. Put my rifle in the window and then be able to return fire. Yeah. So that mindset was, okay, yeah, I'm bleeding, but I'll be okay. Got to fire first. Got a lull in the battle, put tourniquet on, continue to fight. Mm-hmm. My wound was not that bad. Yeah. Through and through, nothing bad. Shot, but, gunshot? Gunshot wound. Gunshot yeah. wound, yeah. Um, uh, more of a spall, but high velocity, mm-hmm. real close. Yeah. Um, Did it hit? It didn't hit anything vital? It, didn't hit, it a, hit a, a tributary, they say, of the brachial artery. Yeah. So it bled a lot. Yeah. It was kind of fat, you know, but it was... It was compartmentalizing, yeah. so my hand was slowly going numb. Yeah. So I had to be taken back to the to the cache, the combat surgical hospital in Baghdad, which became the green zone. Mm. So there's this this uh, the, if you look at the map, there's this river that's going through there, and they called it the Dick of Baghdad because it was kind of shaped like that. It yeah. The turn, you go across to what's called the July 14 Bridge, which came south out of Baghdad into this area that we were operating in, and. Uh, so we're getting to the bridge, and we meet the QRF coming out. They're, they're passing us. We're on this bridge over the river. Mm-hmm. And now they want to offload our bodies, and then they want to... Uh, were they Humvee or were they um, Bradleys? They or showed they... up with... Uh, it was like a striker vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't Bradleys. No, they were yeah. wheeled, multiple wheeled. Yeah, pretty strikers. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, and it was a cab. And I remember this this first sergeant, this big black guy, and he <laughs> came over, and he's like, you're coming with me. we got to take you back to the cash. I'm like, no, I'm getting on that striker over there, and I'm going back to the fight. Because I was, at that point, that vengeance anger thing mm-hmm. where you don't think straight. Yep. And he said, Doc, you got a tourniquet on. Not even Doc. He didn't know I was a doctor. Captain. Yeah. You're going with me. Yeah. And he said, and I, I was so mad, I looked at him and said, I'll throw you off this effing bridge. <laughs> he said, well, I'll take you with me. And I started to laugh. Yeah. And as soon as I laughed, this is the body now. This is physiology. You have this fight or flight syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. It releases endorphins. I'm endorphins. Uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine, adrenaline. Yeah. Okay. It releases that. It constricts the vessels in your periphery, in your arms and legs. Kind of helps you mm. when you're in a fight. It's you're not designed that way. Yep. But as soon as you relax. Yeah. And you go away from that uh, sympathetic to the parasympathetic or the relaxed phase. Yeah. Those vessels relax. Yeah. The body says, I don't need to restrict it anymore. And when they did, yeah. because I had lost so much blood, my blood pressure went boom, and I. Literally, as soon as I laughed, whew, passed wow. out. That's interesting. And I'm laying there in 120 degrees on the bridge. Yeah. And they, I wake up at the cache. Wow. Yeah. You know, they yeah. picked me up and took me to the cache. Yeah. But I was so in the fight yeah. and so angry, which might have kept me from passing out in the vehicle before I got there because I yeah. was thinking, we got to get back. We got to get back. It's, I find it super interesting how the body reacts like That's that. That's why you I know? went into a huge study of it afterwards, like really studying fear and studying. Uh, just the physiology of it, the psychology, mm-hmm. the psych- psychiatry, more psychology. Uh, but then what did the ancient people, the Spartans, you know, I come mm-hmm. from a Spartan lineage. I'm like, what did they do? I learned how they trained their kids, mm-hmm. how they trained. And then how the the Templars and the, these guys, and all through the years I would study that martial arts of that sort, not hand-to-hand, but that martial study. 
of, of warfare. Yeah. I was so interested in, in the mindset. Yeah. And that is, I'm going to tell you right now, the training is the base of it is mindset. Yes. Well, me and Mike talked about this resilience course yeah. and all these other skills that we're teaching here, shooting, survival, doesn't and it doesn't matter without the mm. mindset, right? Mm. Did you find in your studies or in your experience that people get to a certain point where combat becomes almost normal? Where your heart rate doesn't raise, you've been in Correct. gunfights. Because yes, so I, I, I don't say this because I almost think people will call bullshit, right? But I remember me and Mike sitting in, in Iraq at, chow, at breakfast one morning after right. a massive gunfight. And Mike saying to me, I feel nothing on target. I, I, my heart doesn't... And I'm like, I'm the same. Yeah. My heart is not going above what it is right now. It's actually probably lower because I've had three monsters. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I, I almost... I don't... I try not to say that because I, I, I just imagine people would be like, that's bullshit. If bullets are flying past your head, yeah. you, you, you feel that. But you get to the point where you're, you're focused, you're trained, you're highly trained, and you're in a gunfight, and you're like, okay, this this is just almost let me, let normal. Me you, let me tell you, brother. This here is the deal. This is the, this is the bottom line from everything I learned. If I could say bottom line up front, this mm -hmm. is it: is stress inoculation training. Yeah. All right, and it doesn't have to be formal training. Stress inoculation will will numb, not numb you. Will will uh, will dampen that. Yeah. That response, that that fight or flight response, it dampens it because. You're going to rely on your training that you're going to fall back to, your battle drills that you've been performing over and over again yeah, in training. Yeah. You know your, what your partners are doing. You know what they're, that they're capable of and what they're not. Yeah, doing. you're confident in the people you're left and right. That. Is that for everybody or are certain personalities well, better are, at that? Yes. You know, I, I just think I grew up tough. I grew up in a lot of fights. I grew up with a lot of... Yeah, and then I had a lot of gunfights yeah. before I even came to America, right, to the American right. Army. And yeah. I thought maybe that was it. But Mike was a much younger guy than me. And much more less experienced, but he was the same, right? So I, I wonder if it's if it's in your there, genes. There is a genetic component yeah. to it. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. I, be, I I look at you know my family lineage, and I think, all right, here are these guys that come out of the hills in Greece, you know, yeah. came from the Spartan lineage. Yeah, which is 480 BC, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's then still the Ottoman there. Empire came in, and 400 years of that, and they never conquered the this group that lived in the hills, and then so this 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 mantra, this uh, this DNA. Continues yep. to flow through this this collective spirit. Yep. Continues to flow through you. Yeah, it's not like it washes out after. You know what and, I mean? And, it and stays it's also there. you talk about nature versus nurture. If you're in an environment where you got to fight every day, yeah. And I didn't have to fight every day, but I did a lot as a kid because I was smaller, and then you know kids would pick on me, and I'd just clock them. Yeah. I'd be in a fight. I'd yeah. take a lot of licks too, but oh, yeah. you know yeah. I'm like I had to learn, you know. And then but you got respect, and you became friends with them usually because your buddies in your class. But but you weren't afraid to act. Yes. Because okay, what do we talk about in the in the OODA loop? Observe, orient, decide, act. And if you never act, then all that other planning and stuff you did, all that training you did, mm -hmm. you don't have that mindset to make that action happen. Yes. Despite the fact that you're scared to death. Because mm -hmm. when a when an IED goes off and you hear you don't hear things because you're ringing, but you see rounds skipping off your vehicle and you yeah. see rounds hitting things, you get a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, tunnel vision. I did. And I learned how to get out of tunnel vision on my own. Yeah. I just turned my head left and right and I was out of it. See, we never learned that in the military, no. right? We never, the military is very, very focused, especially special operations, very focused on the physical, mm -hmm. turning these freaking guys into athletes so they can perform in the mountains of Afghanistan. And, and But the mental piece never really Missing was it. part of our training at all. Because and we all come huge, in, right, we all come know, in with such varying backgrounds. Yes, yeah. And typically these jobs pull 
us kind of people. Yes. Yeah. Right? We're action mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Action people. That's it. Look for work. We look for work. Mm -hmm. Whether you are on a ranch right now across the Bridger Gap over there we're looking at, or in Oklahoma on my ranch, I know you. You'd be like, okay, what can I do? Yeah. And you know, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen that the other way. And since I've been out and working yeah. with civilians, guys will sit around the table all day and you'll be loading ammo yeah. and they, they won't help you unless you ask them to help, which is blows my mind. But well, yeah. that's why we have selection. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's those true. guys get whittled away in team Yeah, league. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a... How, how many people died in that ambush? It'll be two of ours. And then two. we had uh, four wounded. Yeah. And uh, did the strikers roll up there and uh, and um, yeah, they went back. We we obviously I didn't wasn't able to go back, but they went back up there and also uh, they had at the time the Cobras were still flying for the Marines and they yeah. went and did some Cobra action. Yeah, on. yeah. So yeah. also the guys from the safe house, you know, the fifth group guys. Yep. Well, I was buddies with all of them. They were now going out there to figure out what happened, and this is what happened. They knew we were coming out for a neighborhood advisory council meeting. Yeah. They knew we were coming. What yeah. time? Because somebody told. They them. They knew yeah. the route we were going to take. Yeah. You yeah. know, most likely route, most likely course of action mm -hmm. we talked about. They did the same thing. They did the information preparation of the battlefield. Yep. Analysis. They knew what time, battlefield analysis. They knew what time we were coming because we had to be there at a certain mm -hmm. time. And they just waited for us. Yeah. So there yeah. was an insider guy in that neighborhood advisory council that was a bad guy. And these were Muqtada al-Sadr's guys. So these yes. would be Mahdi Army. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, you were rolling into Sadr City? No, we were going south out of uh from that, away okay. from that, but but they were still operating a little bit further out. We didn't go to Sodder. Yeah. Now Sodder happened afterwards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a yeah, lot of time in Sodder. Oh, yeah, a I lot of did. time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That was that was a crazy place, but yeah, it's 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 actually quite easy to be an insurgent because you can pick the time and the place, right. and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. You'll just do it tomorrow. You go home, each other, do it tomorrow. You know, and it's actually quite easy. What do they Battle. say? They say we got the watches, they got the time. Yeah, and exactly. And yeah, I learned that. Yeah, from my dad. I've never heard that before. That's awesome. Yeah. That, we got that's, the watches, but they got yeah, the time. Yeah, that's like uh, yeah. that really applies to yeah. to yeah certain places like Afghanistan, right? Um, they fight the long game. Yeah, they do. But, and, yeah. And, 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 and if somebody came into uh, Oklahoma, where I'm from, or out here in these hills, and they were a foreign in, uh, entity, yeah, and yeah. they didn't believe in what they thought about, yeah. and they're out yeah. here. We get up in the hills too. Exactly, and you, you can know. be creative, and oh, you can yeah. All day long. Tell me, tell me what the biggest lesson learned from that ambush was. Uh, complacency kills. Yeah. Because I remember specifically rolling into that ambush, and now I teach a class on what's called left of bang. So bang being the ID, mm -hmm. we want to stay left of it on a timeline. I teach that class, and I got certified to teach in it. And I, I know you've, I, I know you don't want to talk about this, but you've, you've taught that class to certain three-letter organizations. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. That the Marines in Guantanamo Bay, I got yeah. taught them, and they were a great yeah. bunch of guys, and, and and other law enforcement. And here's the deal: if you don't stay left to bang, and you lose that ability to pick up the cues that said there's something wrong here, yeah, you're behind the curve. You're behind the OODA loop once again. Yeah, and to yeah. stay ahead of it. You got to pick up the cues. So there was a guy up on the road on the highway that was standing there, a Iraqi policeman that was directing us by. I remember it now. And I waved at him like he's my buddy. Hey, yeah. buddy, morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. nice guy. I'm a doctor. Yeah, good to see you. And the next thing you know, he's gone. And he was the guy that ended up coming down the embankment, taking an Iraqi police thing off his van mm -hmm. and was shooting at me in the truck. Yeah. That was the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't. Did you guys? Uh, I, I assume you didn't, but you didn't. You didn't talk contingencies before you rolled out. Uh, actions on contact. Actions on freaking flat tire. Actions on. Yes, we had a, a, a convoy brief. Yeah, the LT did that, and uh, 
he did a good job, but we did not. We talked about you could see an ID if we do have experience, or we'll just drive through it. We'll just drive on. Mm-hmm. If a vehicle gets exploded, we'll come back. We'll thermite the, the we'll burn the radio. Um, basic, yeah. very basic. Yeah, because I was checked the not block. Something that we experienced at that time. Yes, yeah. And you wouldn't go out in a, in a light skinned Humvee into an IED infested area. Yeah, yeah. You know, either yeah. that or you're not going to take the route that, that you think mm-hmm. that, that you would normally go down. Yeah. I learned a lot from that. Yeah. And yeah. I was able to, to in, employ that in a lot of these classes that I do. Right. So the number one thing is complacency. If you don't look for those cues, if you're not actively looking, and I know a lot of guys want to think about like the movies, you're rolling down the road with ACDC blasting in your Peltors. Mm-hmm. That ain't how it is, brother. Mm-hmm. And if it is, you're wrong. Yeah, you're, you're dead wrong. You're yeah. Wrong. The, the only thing is, like, uh, myself, like, driving Iraq or Afghanistan, like they used to say, they have these clumps of rocks in Afghanistan yeah. that's a trigger for the, the yeah, command, the timing, yeah. IED, to time it and all mm-hmm. that. But they'd be everywhere. And you just, and, and in Afghanistan, you've only got one route in and one route out. So varying your route is not even an option. And it's not even a road. It's a riverbed, right? So and you'll get yeah. in and you'll see it and you'll be like, damn it. And then you'll hear chatter on the radio because you're picking up their, their push to talks. And right. they'll be like, oh, the Americans are coming. Get ready. And you're like, oh, here it goes. And then you'll <laughs> drive another five miles. It'll be nothing. And they're like, oh, is that an IED? Oh, shit, let me go around it. Oh, the, the, the path around it is another place that could be an IED. And it's just overwhelming. And then, like in Iraq, piles of trash, IEDs, oh, yeah. dead animals. They're dead everywhere. Animals, yeah. It's You can look for cues, but it's exhausting after a while, it right? Is, it is exhausting. And, and and when you're doing it for hours and days yes, on end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. drone. Yeah. And it and it's, like they say, you know, going to combat is is sheer boredom yeah. punctuated with, by sheer terror, moments yeah. of sheer terror. Yeah, yeah. And that's... That's kind of how it is, but you. But if you if you if you get you know where you're in the TC, the the, the front seat, you know the not driving but uh, observing, you gotta be you gotta pay attention. And if yes. you're getting tired, then get somebody else up there. You really do. And you if know? you're the gunner, you really gotta be paying attention yeah. too. And the gunner too. Yeah, yeah. And and it, it brings me back to like the Vietnam, right? If you if you were new in Vietnam, if you lasted a couple of months and learned right. how to live, you probably lived the whole time, right? right. But if you, you know, when you're there and you're new and you don't learn these cues and you don't know what to right. look for, and, and, and a lot of guys get killed early on like that, yeah. they walk right up on, on an ambush or a bunker. Yeah, interesting. So you, how long did you spend in hospital? Oh, so I, I was in there for about uh, six hours in the cash. And here's what, this is, this is a little bit bad on me, but I can go ahead and talk about it now. Uh, so they do a, uh, you know, it basically, uh, caught, not cauterized, it, it basically coagulated on its own. All right, mm. take the tourniquet off, pressure dressing, uh, reduce it down to just a, a dressing. It's good. All right, so uh, hey, listen, Doc, we're going to evacuate to Germany. Okay, or not Doc, I'm sorry, I keep saying that because they call me, but mm-hmm. they just knew me as a captain. Here yeah. I am, a captain, you know, in a beat-up uniform covered in blood. And so... Uh, they said uh, we're going to evacuate, but uh, you want to go get your stuff from your from your base. You can go get it and then come back and have one of your guys drive you back. Okay, so I ride out to our base and then I I know how to do what's called an RTD, return to duty yeah. paperwork, right? Yeah. So I fill out the RTD, I sign it myself yeah. as a battalion surgeon. Yeah. But I don't put my name down. You know, I just yeah. sign it with doctor thing, MD. You know, this yeah. and that. Nobody can read doctors right anyway. They can't anyway. read it anyway, right? <laughs> And then uh, it's I funny. Had the Jim medic. Davenport has a similar yeah uh, story where he he escaped the hospital and yeah, went back to his I talked team. Yeah, about that. Yeah, 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 that was a good story. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I stay on the base. They can't come get me. Mm. Right? How are they gonna come and get me? Mm-hmm. You know, load up a convoy to come find this guy. Yeah. No, they don't care. They got yeah. people way worse than me. So I wear a sling for a while and I do okay. And I have the medics help me. I told them to take this RTD return to duty paperwork back to the doctors down there. Say he's not flying to Germany. You know. Yeah. 
he's not going to fly. So the I stayed sur- there. The surgeon said he's not flying. Yeah. <laughs> so I stayed, yeah, the surgeon, you know, with me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I stayed there and I continued that, which was good because uh, I got a little bit of experience, not in Fallujah itself, when the outskirts, when that kicked off, mm. uh, we were able to take a Ford treatment team, uh, M113. I got licensed up on it again. It had been a while since I'd driven one. Took that as far forward as we could to help out. Yeah. Mostly Marines, uh, but a lot of times if they couldn't fly something, it was mid-level, I can handle it right there for them. Right. So you were like a that. like a mobile cash kind of thing. Mobile yeah, cash, cash collection yeah. point. Yeah, but yeah. just didn't, uh, more, yeah, not so much cash level, but more like battalion aid st- station right. stuff. Right, gotcha, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Resuscitative, not really, because those guys, you wouldn't make it back far enough to us. Yeah. So... From that Iraq experience, when you were saying what was the biggest thing I learned was obviously complacency kills for me, multiple other little things that I could have done better. You always do that. Yeah. This, that was the day that I got the survival guilt. And here's what happened. Uh, Jeff, the gunner, he was a medic, uh, 68 whiskey. He wanted to be an SF guy. He wanted to be an SF medic. He had aspirations like me of doing that. And uh, he asked that day, he didn't have to go on the convoy. He said, sir, can I ride on your gun? Because normally I... Uh, you know, I got in trouble for this. Normally, I ran on my own gun on yeah. the truck, and I would command from up there. Yeah, right. And, not, not, uh, not, not the best tactic because that's that's no. the gun they shoot at first. Generally, right. they're yeah. trying to take not that the gun. best tactic. But yeah. back in those days, I was thought I was John Wayne and bulletproof. Yeah. I I wasn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh yeah, I, I had uh, fifth group commander talk to me a little bit about that, and or the battalion commander said, "Doc, you're not going to be on the gun anymore." You know, yeah. you're, you're an asset out here. You know, I never considered myself more than anybody else. Well, you gotta if you're treating people in the battle, so you gotta leave the gun and go treat right. people, right? right? You can't leave a gun. Yeah, unattended. you can't leave a gun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and I never did it in a planned battle. It was more of a movement thing. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and Jeff asked me, could I ride on you? You know, do that? Can I run your gun for you? Yeah. Absolutely. You get up there, and then he doesn't come home. So yeah. then I got survivor guilt. Yeah, that's where it started. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, and I went. How did that uh, manifest itself? For me, it was uh, anytime anybody ever talked to me about doing something with me, I'm like, you can't go where I can go unless you can do what I can do. Yeah, so yeah. Unless you're actually manifested to be, you're not, you're not going there. But also what personally manifested was in this, this thing that I kept inside. I didn't tell anybody I felt guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Like when I left Iraq and I went through the psychiatric, psychiatric debrief, they say you got any problems? Anybody? You know, write yeah. this thing. No, check, no, check, no, check, no, check, no, check. No, no, I'm going yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to go to the, see yeah. you guys. Yeah, I, did I don't that trust too. you. Yeah. So that's where it got stuffed. Yeah, but there was there wasn't yeah. there wasn't much of a mechanism back then to deal with that. Not like they have now. It, I don't think it was understood as as well as well, it is now, and people are having those kind of problems because early in the war, right? There wasn't a lot of that. Right? There wasn't a lot of. I mean, it's not perfect now. It's far from it with the VA. But back then, I I, yeah, I, 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 I remember filling in those things as well on the way home. Well, you know, that's where my, you know, one of the things of my 16 claims of the VA now is TBI. Well, when that 155 went off, I was, yeah. you know, I was rocked. Yeah. And that's where that those symptoms started. Yes. You know, and then, and, and, uh, you, you know, you've been there. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it manifests in a lot of different ways you'd never think. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't know a lot about TBI. And no, we didn't. We didn't have the... The, the different programs that they do now and, and the way that we can assess somebody post-incident. Yes. Immediately. Yeah. We can yeah. assess them and at least get a baseline 
so we can check them later on and yeah. see where they're at. And we yeah. do it now before they leave the theater. We do, yeah. You, you know, do all these cognitive yeah, tests yeah, cognitive before tests. you even go in so uh, they know where you're at. Yeah. Right. So so now we don't have a well, now we have a way to gauge it. We didn't then. And we learned a lot well, of when, things. When I uh, when I was retiring, they, they did an MRI on my brain and they said this that there's these white spots or mm -hmm. something like that and it's TBI. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it looks like a little bit like the brain of a Parkinson's person sometimes. You know, really? You, you look at that. You know, oh, wow. And obviously, Parkinson's is a lot worse. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. You know, there, there are signs and things that you see that uh, that you pick it up. And I'm not a specialist in that by any means, but mm. uh, but I, I don't know about that. So uh, when I teach this class on Left to Bang, I'm going to get back to that because mm -hmm. I, I, through my PowerPoint, I'm talking about this specific attack. Okay. And I'm talking as though I wasn't there. Yeah. And when I'm teaching the class, I'm like, okay, what cues do you guys see? Now I've already talked about all the stuff that you can look for. Yeah. You know, the 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 environment you're in, the flags that are flying, the policemen on the road, the the disturbed dirt, the simple things. But then the the overall atmospherics. What's what part of town are we going to? What kind of preparation do we do? Do we know who's working in this area? Did yeah. we really dig deep enough to know that the Mahdi army was hanging out down here? Yeah. Even though they were typically in Sadr City. Was, we was, there, was there less, in hindsight, was there less civilians on the road because they knew what Absolutely. was about to go down? This is 10 o'clock in the morning and there was a marketplace Nobody. and nobody's there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah that's a but I didn't one. realize that until boom. Right. Yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, that's weird. Nobody there. Boom. Okay. Those are cues. Mm -hmm. Now to me, in the left of bang, we teach it. If you got two cues, you better get into kind of yellow to orange now. Yep. And you might want to get to red if you see three cues because something's about to happen. You better change your route, change your whatever you're doing. Uh, this can happen for anything. Walking down the street, a knife fight, a civilian, a, you turn around the corner, there's Antifa, they got the roadblock. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can parlay this left of bang over to any walk of life. Uh, the, the OODA loop. But you... When I teach this class and I get to the end and I say, what'd you guys learn? And they're like, those sons of bitches are idiots. Wow, mm -hmm. What an idiot that TC was, that commander. Yeah. He's an idiot. I'm like, you know who the guy was? And they're like, who? Who is this guy? I'm like, me. Yeah. And they're looking at me like, oh, yeah. shit. Because I get them fired up. Yep. But I want them to. Because the way I teach is not doctrine. I teach off of experience. Mm -hmm. Good judgment comes from experience. But unfortunately, a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Yeah. yeah. But you try to pay attention to what other people do. And for me, if I can save one guy's life by teaching the left of bang class going down range, I save one life. Yeah, I, I think, I think, and I've said this before. Um, when I say we, I mean the U.S. military, but we're 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 not great at lessons learned, man. And I, I and you know, I fear, I fear that a lot of lessons learned in the war, the GWAT are going to be relearned in the next one. You know what I mean? Because I know some of it gets gets pulled into into uh, infantry training and pulled into SF training, but a lot of it gets lost. Yeah. And you and, know why. And I know why. Because when you're tired at the end of the mission and you got to do an AAR, and yeah. says, write it all down, you're like, oh. Yeah. And you write down some BS, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's true. We should have done this. Yeah. But truly, even in training, we do yeah. AARs. Yeah. And the good ones, the good officers and NCOs, they'll make document. it. Document, yeah. And they'll yeah. document it. Yeah. And yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll ask it out of you. No. If you ask them to sit down and write it out, they're not going to do it. But if you just sit down with them and say, look, guys, we got to do this 10, 15 minutes. Let's AAR this thing. Yeah. Let's after yeah. action report this. I think that's where we'd save a lot of it, but we don't. We yeah. don't do a good enough job. Yeah, yeah. We, we got We're too many other things, things that our to do. fathers and grandfathers did, just uh, different wars. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And, and, but uh, war is war. You know, it's, it's you trying mm -hmm. to kill me. Yeah, yeah. And the tools change, but... Yeah. So when I teach that, that's that's the lesson learned. Is so any of you out there listening, if it's uh, you're going to take this class, don't you don't you tell anybody in the class <laughs> that it was me driving that vehicle, not driving yeah. the TC in that. Yeah. 
Um, so we, we go from there. Uh, the rest of the tour, basic uh, for me, guys going out doing missions. I'm just at the aid station. I go out on a lot of advisory council meetings, nothing significant. That was the most significant piece of that yeah. deployment. And then helping out with the, uh, the Fallujah thing. But I, I didn't see any action really. Uh, not like the guys did down there. I mean, that was a shit show. Yeah, it was. You yeah. know, and then they pulled out. That was a political thing, but that was a whole different. Mm -hmm. You know, we could have had the whole city at that time, and then they, how many times iterations did they go back for Fallujah? Mm. You know, when they could have had it. Uh, but I'm not a politician, and I don't. You know, I, I do what they tell me to do. But uh, deep down inside, you're kind of frustrated. Yeah. You know, and when mm -hmm. you're going back and taking the same places that you'd taken. Yeah. Uh, later on, I I go back to the guard. I'm doing that. And I am uh, deployed again, uh, this time to Afghanistan, and uh, I, it's 2008, so fast forward. Now, now, in between there, I had done a lot more of those J sets, you know, the exchange training, tr different places. I think I've got like 18 trips downrange, mm -hmm. five of which are OIR, OEF. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's about... Mm -hmm. but, uh, and it's some of those, and it's taken me all over the world. I can't. I've been everywhere. I've been in Africa and Southeast Asia, and you know, with SF, we we go everywhere. Fifty six yeah. nations, I believe, is the last I heard. Or something I heard that, that one too. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere, you know, around that number, uh, that we have guys operating at any given day. There's somebody somewhere doing mm -hmm. something. Um, we lost some third group guys a couple of years back in Africa. Yeah, some from our battalion, yep. I believe, mm -hmm. from second battalion. And then, you know, kind of that's when it, when you kind of you have that survivor guilt too, because you think, man, I wish I was there. I could have yeah. out. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. but, but we got to move on. So 2008, uh, I did a, uh, a medical doctor work at a uh, place called Camp Phoenix. It was a training site. And while I was there, I befriended the ETTs, the embedded training teams. And uh, I learned about that program. And it's quite a, kind of like the quintessential SF mission. Because here you're taking U.S. soldiers, but they're not SF guys. Mm -hmm. But they're subject matter experts in their particular field. And you're assigning them to a battalion, which is about 600 guys of Afghans. They call them a Kandak. And you're training them to field them in combat. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to drive with them, and you're going to fight with them, and you're going to sleep, eat, and do all that with them, and then hopefully come home. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy yeah. because <laughs> when I didn't, when I when I would see these guys leave, and I'd think you got a cook, a mechanic, a, a this or that, but it was all walks to make this happen. But they didn't really have the same capabilities that the SF teams had to train. No. But because of the, the direct action need, the need for guys to do direct action, we had to build the ETTs to do that basic training for those infantry guys, Yeah, which would typically be an SF mission. Yeah. But our guys, like you, were mm -hmm. doing direct action all over the place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? So uh, I got myself on an ETT, uh, which was the first time, you know, that a doctor was put on an ETT by going to the theater commander and saying, sir... Here's why you need me here. Now, deep down inside, I'm still an infantry guy. I always tell people I'm a grunt who happens to be a doctor. Um, but I, I, I get myself on this embedded training team, and I was able to train a Kandak, a battalion. And it's frustrating. Uh, having worked with a lot of different forces around the world, mm -hmm. it's 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 tribal. Well, well that that's there's that, so many different types. Yeah, that's the good thing about SF because the Q Course and Robin Sage hammer home. 
the cultural understanding, yes. right? So people who don't have that training, they try to make an American solution out of an Afghan problem or an Afghan yeah. mentality. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It's the same in Iraq. The Iraqis yeah. used, even the Iraqi counter-terrorist force, they'd hit a house and steal everything, you know? Or <laughs> I don't care. They're steal, talking about spoils of war. Yeah, steal the bag as money. Just don't steal his cell phone because I need that for intel, right? So... Right. Um, when you when you haven't had that training and that understanding right. and being comfortable in chaos, you're trying to put an American solution on an Afghan right. military thing. It just doesn't work. And and the guys that were on my ETT, I love them to death. They're great Americans. I mean, you think about it. Yeah. You're going to take an American, put him on a uh, five vehicles and twelve guys, and send him out in the middle of Afghanistan with a bunch of guys who could turn around and shoot him. In yeah, minute. was that a volunteer position? That was or? a volunteer position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, it takes some cojones. As yeah, say. It absolutely. Takes but uh, but you don't have that cultural training. They give you a little bit. Hey, here's an Afghan. This is yeah, what they look like. Yeah. This is what they eat. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Don't don't say it is. Yeah. Don't, don't say, say that. Yeah. Don't eat with your left hand. All right. I got it. So we go out. Uh, we we train these guys, and they just weren't up to par in my book. In in my book, they weren't up to par. And I was working in the XO position, the executive officer, second in charge, kind of responsible for all the little bits and pieces that had to happen mm -hmm. to get us out the door, and then to field us. And once we fielded them, then we backed off, but we took them from Bagram, uh, not Bagram, from, uh, uh, yeah, it's it about Bagram, it's, it's Camp Phoenix, uh, and then we, it's south and east of Kabul, not north, and then we drove them across the country, past Kandahar, mm -hmm. to, would have been Camp uh, Wright, no, not Wright, uh, it was out in uh, Herat. That's a long drive. Stone, was it Stone out there in Herat? Out in the west? Yeah, out west. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, so that's a long drive. Yeah. You know, 16 times along the way, we had something happen where there was rounds fired. Yeah. We called troops in contact again. Yeah. Uh, and, or somebody drove off the road. They're not the best drivers, you know. Yeah. Or uh, a wheel blew out. Wheel or, blew yeah, out. Or somebody yeah. fell out of the They're truck, not the best fell asleep. Roads. Yeah. Not the best roads. Yeah. They can't, you know, read a map sometimes and hear this poor guy's going the wrong way because, once again, before the Blue Force trackers, uh, they, they were coming in and we had them in our trucks, in our trucks. They're driving a Ford Ranger, and they got like 19 guys in the Ranger. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 56 Ford Rangers. Yeah. And every day we would train when we were at Phoenix, you would literally be lined up, ready to go. And I'm like, all right, we're gassed up, ready to go? No, sir, we have no gas. Someone took it. Yeah. What? Yeah. They would siphon the gas. Yeah. Like people would sneak in yeah. at night and siphon the gas. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. So there's little ancillary problems that would happen, ankle biters would happen. But it taught me a lot for where I went yes. after that. Yeah, yeah. you have to be comfortable with chaos when chaos. you train a force like that. Oh my yeah. God, brother, let me tell you, I, 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 I use this theory called the chaos cup. Everybody has one. Mm -hmm. Some people's are the size of a thimble. Mm. You know, some people you yeah. see and they just, something happens there, they're, they're lost. Yeah. <laughs> and then as, as time goes on and you, and you stress inoculate, and this goes back yeah. to that a little bit, your cup becomes like this huge mug. Yep. You take it. You take and away you, a pinch of salt, man. What you, you couldn't on. take before as yeah, a kid. Now yeah. you're like, ah, yeah. So people would say, Doc, how come you're so calm and all this? I'm like, because yeah. I've been here and this is going to be fine. Yeah. You know, you're going to be fine. This is not that bad. Yeah, I can you almost know. tell it's going to happen, right? You yeah. Know? Like we we are outfitted a whole Iraqi battalion with brand new AKs, and they'd go home for the weekend and come back with a piece of garbage. They had it. They sold the one we gave them, Dude, and come back with a piece of same garbage. Same thing happened yeah. to us. <laughs> came well, we came back. We gave them. 620 of them they signed for yeah and they lost like 25 of them yeah and they're like oh we didn't you only gave us this no 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 yeah, no. you signed for this yeah, yeah when then we yeah. sent them home with their AKs yeah. they disappeared yeah. or like you said came yeah. back with garbage mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a typical thing. chaos cup I like that the chaos cup yeah, yeah. how yeah. big is your cup you know it'd be a good shirt me 
No, no. no saying, I know what yours is. Your, your cup is like the size of your body, you know, like a 55 gallon drum. But, uh, and then a lot of guys are like that. You know, some of the, the heroes of my life, you know, I look at them and nothing rattled them. Nothing. Mm. And then over my time, you know, as I got older and, and dealt with more trauma, things just didn't rattle me. I used to work in an ER back home and on, you know, make some money on the side. And if I was managing six patients and they were, you know, not critical, they were just six patients and, you know, this guy's got, He's having a heart attack. This one over here has got a toenail need to be fixed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now I'm downrange and I got 17 guys that are screaming in pain. Yeah. Some of them missing limbs. Mm. Your chaos cup grows. Yes. Yeah. Because now I'm like, I go back to that ER again to work. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'll roll over. Guy's got a broken back. No problem. Broken leg, bone sticking out. <laughs> whatever. He's still got his leg. Yeah. I'll fix it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you, you, uh, you get acclimated, you get stress inoculated. And your chaos cup grows. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Mm. You know, over time. I like that. And some people just are confident. I got a, I got a son. He's twenty one. He's a confident kid because he grew up with me teaching him stuff the right way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Teaching him the right way. Yeah. And he's a tough kid. So his chaos cup is already starting out bigger than it would have been. Yeah. And I think that that's the key. Yeah. With mine, stress inoculation. My dad was hard on me. Mm. Hard on me. Like I said, never physical, verbal, but. I already came in when the drill sergeant was yelling at me. It didn't rattle me because mm. of my dad. You know. Yeah. He would have me jumping. Yeah. You yeah. know, so we all have that background. Different, you know, you, like you said, growing up fighting and things, you know, that didn't, that never scared me. Pain never scared me that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, what scared me and what scares me is uh, not living up to the expectations that my brothers have of me. Yeah. And that I can't do something. Yeah. You're hard on yourself. You're, you're your own yourself. worst critic. Yeah. yeah. You're on yourself. Yeah. yeah. What scares me is not walking down the street and looking dangerous when I get older. Yeah, you know? yeah, I yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what scares me now. It's like, yeah. oh, man, I hope I can stay in good shape and yeah. still be able to fight when I'm 85, you know? <laughs> but I know it's not going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully I'm living in Montana on a ranch like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. You uh, don't see people. Yeah. You don't see people. I'll be like that Bridger mm-hmm. guy up in the mountain gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that tour. The ETT went great. Uh, you know, a few little ticks and in, in, in contacts. We fielded them, and then we took off, and then somebody came in and picked them up from us. So... Uh, but I, I had a great tour because that set me up for the next phase, right. which I didn't know about, which was the SF world. Yeah, you know, yeah. even though I was an SF doc, I'm kind of an outsider still. Yeah, not, they not, love you to you death. The guys take care of you. Tab, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're an infantry guy. We love you. You Can shoot, move, communicate, doc. Mm-hmm. But you can't go do the missions with us because yeah. you know you're not tab. That's okay. You know, I mean, I, I I know my place, but of course, I'm always biting to get there. Yeah, you know, like a military yeah. working dog. I'm always. Yeah, working. you feel like you you didn't belong, huh? You didn't. Yeah, you're you just, were, you you're the still club, on right? the outside. Yeah. You're not you're on, you're not on the inside. And then you know, and then there's, we talk about this, and I was talking with Mike earlier about this. Is the grass is always greener. You're looking for the next job. It's like yeah, bigger. and yeah. you find out, man, I was in a green pasture back there, and I thought this would be better. Yeah. So we all have a little bit of that because yep. we're looking for something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we can affect more change. Yeah. I think that's it. Where I can affect more change in a positive manner. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of that. Um, but those those tours went great. And then, you know, uh, I did a tour to Jordan. Uh, actually, as an 18 Alpha. This is... Uh, well, let me back yeah, up. Let's talk get, about how you got into Q Corps. Yeah, because that's not a normal thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. That a doctor that, will go a little bit of a, to selection and the Q course and be a qualified special right, forces officer. Right. That that that's very unusual. We've had a few way in the past. They did right. it back. But in you, the, you, in and, the day. you and Rad, I think pioneered yeah. that, right? Yeah, Rad Nathi, myself, and a few others. Um, so. <laughs> It started out by me going down range again to Afghanistan. We had a really benign tour, nothing. I stayed at the aid station the whole time. Yeah. Miserable. Mm-hmm. I was miserable. Yeah. Taking care of guys. I love that part, but yeah. miserable. Bagram? 
Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I went to the USASOC, uh, United States Army Special Operations Command Office Headquarters, and the psychiatrist there, uh, Bob, I'm just going to call him Bob. If you're out there, Bob, hey, brother. Uh, he went to med school with me. So I go to Bob. I said, Bob, I'm resigning my commission. I'm going to go back to being 11 Bravo as an E5, and I'm going to go to the Q course or go to selection. I'm yeah. going to try out. Yeah, yeah. And he's looking at me like, you're 44 years old. Are you kidding me? Damn. Like, I got this. I can do yeah. it. Yeah. People hit me up all the time. Hey, I was going to go to selection, but I think I'm too old, huh. and I'm 29. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I went when I was 35, right? So you understand yeah. what I'm saying, right? Yeah, but I went 44. Well, still, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I look at that, at that, that as a bracket. Yeah. Some people age better and some people Did take you. care of themselves. Yeah. And so yeah. I, was, I stayed in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. I wasn't broken. I mean, I, I wasn't that bad, but my mind was there. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. And once again, no, we're getting yeah. back to mindset. Exactly. Yeah. Stamina comes anything. from the mind. You yep. can do anything. Yeah. And, I, and, I'll, and, I, and I'll prove it to you a hundred times over. I'm as good once as I ever was. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. We'll get a fight today with some bums in town. We'll be fine. Yeah. Today. Yeah. We got to yeah. do it every day. We never fall. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, we get. Uh, I go to his office. He's like, I got to run this by the generals, but I don't know that you're going to be able to do this. I'm like, oh, I can. I've already checked it out. Bob. Yeah, you can you know, resign I'm, your I'm commission. I'm going to resign my commission yeah. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hold on. And he runs my letter down to, it eventually ends up in General Mulholland's hands. Mm-hmm. Right? It went through a couple different stars, and it finally got to him. And uh, if you don't know this guy, he's huge. All right. Uh, Sean, Sean Mulholland, I believe his first name. I never called him that. I called him Sir. Yeah. But... Uh, Big guy, you know, huge hands, and I got big hands. He got he wrapped my hands up. Anyway, he says, "Bring him to my office, and I'll talk to him." All right, so I go. It wasn't the same day. I eventually went to his office meeting with him, and uh, he says, uh, "Okay, well, I've been thinking about sending some docs to the Q course that had come across in the past, and I see that you had attempted to try to go as a doctor to selection. They turned you down. I'm like, yes, six times, sir. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, <laughs> today's your day. But here's the deal." For you, we have this saying, it's called cast or tab, right? You're going to break your leg or you're going to get your tab. But for you, Doc, it's death or tab. You better not quit. You better not let me down. He's looking at me and he's pointing that big hand in my face. And I'm like, Roger that, sir. Just like that chance that I got when I was a doctor, you know, yeah. these chances come in life and you take them. And uh, so I turned around, went to Bob, said, he's going to let me go as a doc. Here I am, a major. I'm, by the time I got to the selection, 45 years old. And uh, I was able to go. Mm-hmm. All right. So I get to selection. Uh, at that time, it was three weeks. And, what uh, year? It would be 2009. Nine? Yeah, nine. Yeah. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, I was thinking because in 2012, I graduated the Q course because mm. I came back, a little break, and I came back. But anyway, so I'm there and uh, in selection and doing everything everybody else is doing. I'm just number 33. I'm wearing mm-hmm. a uniform with a number on it. You know, that was me. Yeah. First week was uh, your individual stuff. You're running, you're rocking, you're moving. Uh, second week, they're increasing the pace a little bit. Uh, a couple little, like, obstacles. You had the nasty Nick, you know, the obstacle course that yeah. they, I thought was going to be terrible. And I had trained so much for this. Did you? I was in fantastic shape. Yeah. Did Just smoked all that stuff. Uh, and I would smoke these young kids on the ruck. Here's yeah. a 12-mile ruck you got to get in three hours, right? Yeah. And here's how you smoke young kids. You watch them, they take off. And I've been rucking since 1983. Yeah. Vietnam vets were teaching me how to ruck in the swamps. Yeah. And I'm like, they take off running. I'm like, eh. And I just do my pace count on my left foot. I would kind of jog about 75, and then I would walk 25. And if I got tired, I'd change that number out, and I'd get more energy. Because you want to show up on the objective 
yeah. ready to fight. Yeah, yeah. They would show up smoked because mm-hmm. they would run. Yeah. And here's the deal. At seven miles, every time at seven miles out of the 12-mile ruck, I'd pass them. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of them saying, this old fucker's coming up. Better better go. Yeah. They didn't know what I was. Yeah. Doc or officer, whatever. Yeah. This old guy. But I'd pass them, and I usually end up in the top quarter of the class in the rucks. On the runs, I was in the bell curve. Then team week. Now, team week is selection. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's not impossible, but you just got to hope you get a good team, number mm-hmm. one. So you're not out all night moving these apparatuses around the back country. Uh, and, and I won't give away any secrets, but basically that is that is selection. Mm. But I'm this, this, all this, I'm telling you this because during that time, I was made the class leader during team week, the last three days of team week. So now I'm the class leader. I'm standing in the front. You got to take your direction from the board. And I'm standing there. It's pouring rain. It's two o'clock in the morning. We whittled down to whatever's left of us in selection. And we've got to wait for the cadre to come out and write something on the board so we can go to bed. Because in three hours, we're going to be up moving something heavy again. Yeah. And he's not coming out. He's not coming out. It's pouring rain. It's freezing. I go up and I knock on the door. He's like, That's ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, What? And I said, Sorry, you want to? Give us some direction. He goes, take your directions from the board. I go, there's nothing on the board, sir. We've been standing out here for two hours. He goes, oh, you forgot to put you it forgot. on the board. Yeah, yeah. You go to bed yeah. at whatever time. So he's like, he's mad now. Yeah. He goes, get back into formation. I get back in formation. He writes his stuff on the board. He comes out and he's staring at me nose to nose. And he goes, and of course he knows who I am. Yeah. That I'm this odd duck doctor guy. And he can't stand me. I could just tell the look in his yeah. face. He just, yeah. and maybe he's a good actor. Either one. Yeah. And later on, I found out he was just a good actor, but I thought he just can't stand me. But I'm like, oh, gosh. So when he turns around to walk in, I execute a port arms, and then I do a one of those circles with my weapon. I don't know what you call it, but you whip it around, mm-hmm. and I put it back down, and the guys behind me kind of giggle. Right? It's almost like a seer thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, ugh, you know, kind of like that. And then he turns around and looks, but he didn't really catch it. He walks on in. I go up to the board, put it in bed. But this is the reason I tell this is this kid comes up to me, got to be 21 years old he comes up to me he goes we're all trying to figure you out are you some kind of badass like e7 from the ranger battalion yeah i'm like no <laughs> nothing even close yeah you'll find out at the end yeah because you know, you're just a number you know yeah. you're in rank you know i know we're in a name and uh that i said son that's the best compliment anybody ever gave me i'm gonna say that i appreciate yeah. you you know and it was it and it and age really didn't mean anything no yeah. i was tired as tired as anybody else but the, here's what really I, the, the biggest thing i learned and it's a mindset thing is the day I showed up at selection, there was this guy across from me, Adonis looking guy, muscled up. Guy's like six foot three. I'm like, he's gonna smoke this thing, and I can't even. If these are the people that they got here, I'm not gonna make this. Mm. He quit. You know, the, the fifth day of selection. Yeah, it means nothing. Those big, huge guys with all the tattoos and yeah. freaking, you yeah. know, it, it means nothing. Yeah. You know, like we said, stamina comes from the mind. The right? body has nothing to do with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to do with it. The, the false bravado, the, all that stuff, machismo, yeah. all that has nothing to do with it. It's the mindset. It's the team. Yeah. It's the team mentality. It's the look for work mentality. Yeah. It's the uh, never quit. It's all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all have our own walk, and we, we have different stories like that. But I got through that, and then I went to the Q course, and they didn't want to send me to the medical phase because I'm already a doctor. Yeah. So they sent me as an officer. Which was great, yeah. Because I learned how to, mm-hmm. to command, or not command, to plan. Planning, plan. yeah, plan. yeah, yeah. And, and that's briefing. one. Of, that's one of the things that that yeah. you're Dan are going to work on here. Yeah. During the resilience course is planning. Yeah. Yeah, planning is is instrumental. You know, we always say measure twice, cut once. And when we say measure twice, that means make sure it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan is who, what who you was fall it back said? On. 
Plans mean nothing. Planning means everything. Planning who, means everything. Who was that, that? Is, uh, well, Patton. Was it that Patton? Was Patton. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is genius, right? Which is genius. Because through the planning phase, you 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 negate problems. Right. You come up with solutions and all that. That that the, the the planning phase is what gets you the plan, right? Yeah. And that that's the part that really works. It's yeah. what builds that the mental image, the visualization of what's. Mm-hmm. Fixing yep. happen, right? and the contingencies and the all contingencies. that. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I like the way that the SF does it. In the ISO fact, you put them in isolation, yep. and the team develops the plan. Yes. Now the officer presents the plan. He briefs the mm-hmm. plan. He gives you the commander's intent. He kind of runs it. He yeah, kind of runs yeah. it. He's got the timeline. He builds all that. Yeah. But each individual on the team takes his specialty. Yeah. With help of the seniors mm-hmm. and the team sergeant, obviously. Yep. And the 180 alpha there with the warrant officer, and they and they. They come up with their piece. Yeah. And if it fits and it works, mm-hmm. then everybody then briefs 20 times before you back brief to the commander. Yeah. 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 Everybody knows the plan. Yeah. I, I, I learned it. a lot about planning in, in yeah. Robin Sage, especially, Robin right? Sage. As as yeah. uh, when we went to the ISO and we, yeah. we hammered it and hammered it and hammered it for days, you know? Oh, it was it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was it was hard as an 18 Alpha officer who had not really worked as an officer as an uh on the infantry side. I yeah. was enlisted. Yeah. I was I was just handed my mission and said, all right, Chambers, yep. dig a hole. Mm-hmm. Roger that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know really what was going on until I became an NCO, and I kind of really didn't have enough experience. So the, the 18 Alpha course was great for me. Yeah. Uh, I learned yeah. a lot. Yeah. And uh, great experiences. And then uh, 2012, jumping into Robin Sage, this is where I get to the back injury. Yeah. Uh, I have a shoot malfunction. I come out the door, I'm chasing a bundle, I'm the Alpha, so I go out first. It's nighttime. Combat equipment. I remember my ruck was 117 pounds. Yeah. People look, my ruck was, I think it was something around there. Yeah. And I'm 165 right. pounds, right? I'm carrying a 120 pound ruck. You waddle walking, up on the plane. I'm walking. Well, I didn't yeah. jump in. We were supposed to jump in, but yeah. weather hit. Uh, Thank goodness. Right? Uh, and we walked in, but we walked for 24 hours. We yeah. walked for 24 hours with a 120 pound yeah. ruck in the Robinson. I would much rather jump. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a toss up. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, here's the deal that, that about half the teams, maybe, I don't know, maybe a half or a third jump. And then the other guys either get trucked in or, the, or sometimes weather happens. But I remember walking into the bay and looking down and seeing the 1950 bags, the yep. weapons carrying bags. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, damn it. Because like you, I'm not a big fan of jumping. I can do it. It's mm-hmm. a method, it's a means. But I'm like, oh, it's a ride to work, man. That's all it it's is. It's a ride yeah. to work, exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't do joy jumping or, or civilian jumping. So anyway, I uh, I see the things. We jump and we we had this fifth group uh, cadre. Our sergeant had this big broom handle mustache. You know, guy looked the epitome of an SF guy. Mm-hmm. He was just stoic. And he took us aside in the very beginning and he said, "All right, I don't know who you are." He told, this is him talking to me. He briefed each one of us one on one. I don't know who you are, how you got here, you know, major, doctor. I'm going to treat you like any other 18 Alpha out here, any other officer, SF guy out here. I'm like, that's all I've ever asked for, Sergeant. Mm-hmm. Thank you. At the end, when we were done, he said, I'd have you as my team leader any day. Mm-hmm. So he knew yeah. that was that was graduation to me. Yeah, yeah. Getting yeah. the beret. Yeah, that's that great to hear, yeah. From a guy that's been there and done it, yep. him telling me that, mm-hmm. I'm like, that means a lot because he... He, you know, they watch you. They see what you do. Yeah. You know, they mm-hmm. assess you. They can throw oh, you out. They see everything. They've yeah. seen it all. Mm-hmm. And it all started from that jump, and I hit the ground. Well, I had a shoot malfunction. A panel had had ripped, I guess, when I came out. Maybe they were going fast. I don't know. I'm not an expert on on uh, why parachutes don't function well or why they tear. But I know this, that I passed the bundle on the way down. I know that. Mm. And when a bundle, bundle goes out and I pass it, I'm like, I'm going too fast. Yes. I see the ground. It's too late for a reserve. I feet and knees it in. 
and I end up you know, hurting my back and I'm on the ground. But I get up and I look for work, start going to the art, you know, rally point. We're getting together. And then, uh, why are you moving so bad? Chambers is cadre. Well, my back hurts a little bit. I think my shoot malfunctions. Ah, you did not. Whatever. Well, I was going real fast. I know that much, mm. but I'm not an expert at that. And neither one of us are big guys. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be flying past the, the yeah. truck and, uh, past the bundle, but okay. We do Robin Sage, and they had, by the end of it, they had to like lift me up every time. I'd have to ruck somewhere. They'd have mm. to lift me up. And we had a six-click infill after that, still enough. Get on a trailer, drive a little bit, meet some people. They take us to this site. We're camped out by the river. We had actual mountain yard people, Vietnamese descendants of Vietnamese. That's cool, uh, yeah. Refugees that had come back to the States. They were taking care of us, cooking for us, but they were also our, we call them G's, guerrilla mm -hmm. force. Uh, we're training them, uh, and I had a great time. Uh, mm. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was the best training I, I've ever had. Yeah. Um, because it put it all together. Yes. Um, so Robin Sage was went off uh, really well. And uh, we got two officers on the team, so each got a chance to, to operate. One worked as a warrant officer, and then we, we swapped it around. Um, so from that, like I said, Sergeant, hey, Doc, you got it. You know, you, I can see why they sent you. All right. So I was the first guy to go. To selection, but then Radnoth and I ended up because I had a little bit of break. He was the next doc that came in. Yeah, so I'm giving him kudos if you're out there, brother. <laughs> Hello. Uh, so he and I graduated together. So here's two docs. He was a lieutenant colonel by that time. Yeah, you know, no, so it's, crazy, it's crazy, right? Yeah, right. And we're both older than dirt. And, yeah, uh, you know, he had a lineage in the Ranger Bat, and he had you know some some really uh, interesting stories from the from the day. Uh, but uh, those those uh, from that that program, I think we got. Another 12 docs that attempted it, but I think we got a total of five okay. that we got through the course. Yeah. And uh, yeah. great guys, I know. But they never serve as anything alpha, right? They serve as a doctor? Or? Typically, they serve as a doctor. Yeah. 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 I, I got an opportunity to serve as an 18 alpha because I, I kind of tricked. I won't say I tricked. I shouldn't say that on here because I am in the Texas Guard. But <laughs> here's what I did. So I when I left third group... Uh, Let's see. Oh no! What, well, let, let's, let's get, get back. let's yeah. get to there. Yeah. Let's. So you, you after the after you you got tabbed. Did you go straight to third group at that point? Yes. And you were the battalion surgeon, and battalion second surgeon, battalion. Second battalion. And that's where I met you at that right. time, right? right? Yep, yep. And I was a team sergeant in third B2 group three. at in B two three right. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where we got. Uh, that's where we met. Yeah. And um, yeah, you hooked me up. You helped me out a lot back then. So. Uh, were you chomping at the bit to try to do something different, yeah. or were you happy happened. with what you're? This is yeah. what happened, and, yeah. and you guys were instrumental in this. And, and this is, uh, you guys I remember were, we did a mission on yeah. an embassy, yeah, and embassy you came mission. out and hung out with yeah. us, yeah, and yeah. So because I had experience in embassies and things, and then there was also a need for well, if somebody in the embassy's hurt, let's yeah. bring the doc in, yeah, yeah. So you had me up there in a uh, uh, position basically with a with a long gun, yeah. And uh, kind of overwatch mm -hmm. while the other stuff's going on. And we were doing, a, I think it was a NEO. Yes, it was. It was yeah, a non-combatant yeah. evacuation mm -hmm. operation. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that. and uh, But then we had another mission where we went and rescued the SEER students. Right? It oh, wasn't with your team. Yeah. It was uh, Myrick's team. Yeah, I've right? done that a couple of times, yeah. but not that. Yeah, that's a great yeah. mission too. Well, yeah. I went yeah. back yeah. and got some retribution on the guys in SEER. No. Oh. Because they had this one guy. He's no longer there. So I would say his name. I thought he hated me. And he did. Name was Chaos, and he was a big guy. Yeah, and he would whack you. Yeah, he would whack you. He would he would he would line you out. But uh, I got him in the pit because he tried to segregation pit as they're bringing the guys out. You know, mm -hmm. I'm right there. So there he is, and I've got him, and I got him on the ground, zip tying him, and I'm whispering in his ear a few little lovelies, <laughs> and uh, so it was a, it was nice. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was nice yeah. closure to the seer experience <laughs> for me. 
But uh, yeah, so I go to you guys, Second uh, Battalion, and uh, yeah, <laughs> push the edge of the envelope there now with the medical doctor uh, long tab thing. Not in the sense of doing anything illegal, but in the sense of we created some SOPs that actually now are being used that you weren't aware of, but now some of the things that we did in Afghanistan, yeah, using me to do some things of which I can't talk about, mm-hmm. but honestly changed some of the SOPs the way that we do some of the now FID slash UW environment. Okay. Um, we actually did that. We also uh, were able to, uh, for the first time, use the ghost teams. It was a golden hour offset surgical transport team, which is a bringing a medical asset forward in an area where we don't have a golden bubble. Yes. And putting them near the X. Yeah. So the golden the hour is if you get somebody back to, to right. a, a treatment facility within an hour, right. their chances of living are right. huge, right? Right. Yeah. And so th- that element existed. They just hadn't been fielded yet. And so... Uh, myself and uh, he's out now, Sam Wildman, uh, my 18 Delta, we jumped on the back. We went on a mission and we got ourselves on the manifest. Now, here I am, the battalion surgeon. And while while we're infilling and they're watching back at Bagram, they're watching on the TV, uh, the commander, the SOTIF commander looks up and says, hey, doc, I got a question. And my mm-hmm. chair was empty, but my PA was sitting there. Yeah. And he's like, where's doc? He's like, and the PA points at the screen. He goes, see that first CH-47? He's landing right there. He's on yeah. the side-by-side. What? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. But he signed off on it. He just didn't know. I had him sign it. I said, sir, sign off on this medical yeah. plan. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But I get to the X, and here's why, we, why I wanted to be there, because I'm going to orchestrate bringing in for the first time a medical team forward to deliver just resuscitative care, not just a bandage. Mm-hmm. Surgeons putting their hands in someone's belly and saving a life. So you're, you're offset from the objective? We're offset from the objective. And here's the reason why we had to go to this place. It was a place that we had retrograded, pulled away from up in Kunduz area. Mm-hmm. It's February, it's cold, it's snowing. And we retrograded. And then that Air Force, that base, not Air Force base, but that landing strip that the Germans had built was now vacated. And what happens? There's a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Bad guys come in. So the fifth group guys that were assigned with us, you know, we're third group guys, but we had that uh, RC, that area, the north, uh, between Mazar Sharif and there. Uh, they drove from Mazar Sharif on this snow, but they were late coming in because they got, you know, snow slows you down. Mm. So time on target. We got this thing called time on target. So here we are flying in, and we're just a little bit off. We're a little bit ahead. So me and Sam are in the back of this thing. We're the first two people to touch down on the objective in the side-by-side. With We got, you know, belt-fed weapons. Mm-hmm. That's it. And we got all the medical equipment because we're going to be the CCP, the Combat Casualty Point, Collection mm-hmm. Point, uh, for this operation on the X until we can bring in that ghost team to offset. So we land where the pilots are like, they're a little behind. You want to go ahead? I was like, go ahead and land it. You know, we're, we're ready. So we got not only us, we got other elements with, what, four CH-47s full of side-by-sides coming out. And we, we come out we, and we uh, secure the area. We didn't have to fight a lot. We're good. You know, scare them off, they're gone. Mm. But now they're regrouping. Now they see something's going on. They're coming back. But the fifth group guys are there and they, they handle it. So we did well. We were able to bring in the, the medical teams, set up Alaska shelters, and we got this now surgical asset in an area where we didn't have that before. Yeah. Running operations from that, like a, like a spoke on a wagon wheel, mm-hmm. going out to different areas and hitting them. Well, we've got this, gotcha. uh, yeah. this old Centralized, base that we had retrograded yeah. from. Mm-hmm. It was a nice base. It's just yeah. they had pulled away. Yeah. And that's happening to this very day now in Afghanistan. While the we're retrograding and leaving areas, the, the vacuum is, is closing yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame. 
Yeah. So working as a, a surgeon in SF, an 18 Alpha, but, but a, a battalion surgeon, and, and treating all these Green Berets and, and support kids all the time, what was your biggest takeaway from that, that, that deployment and, and, and that, that phase of, of your career? As a doctor. Okay, yeah. That, that particular deployment, deployment was a tough one for us in the sense that we had a lot of combat operations. And the combat operations are sometimes driven by the command, well, obviously driven by the, the SODIF command, the commander's intent. But a lot of that happens at a strategic level. Yep. And it depends on who the president is. And, yep. What, and year, how, what year was this? This would be 14. Okay. 14, mm -hmm. 14 15. I know, I know the, the, the ROE, the... The rules of engagement in Afghanistan fluctuated depending yeah. on the political situation. It has it since the beginning of time, right? Yeah. Depending on what was going on, the rules of engagement change. And, yeah. and, and uh, but I can't remember whether that was the well, good time or the bad time because it, it got it, to a ridiculous stage. Yeah. Like when I was in Afghanistan first time in '04, like we we dropped a lot of bombs and a lot of people, and and then it went completely crazy where. Enemy could open fire on you from from a a, mm -hmm. a compound, and you couldn't even return fire in case there might be a civilian in there. And smart insurgents use that as a weapon, right? They'll put civilians in there deliberately, so you can't return fire. So you can't fight a war like that. It was yeah, so your your experience in 04 in Afghanistan. In my 08 ETT one, I had a guy drive up on the back of our convoy, which our MRAP is at the end, our big vehicle at yeah. the end, with a sign on it saying "Don't pull up." Yes. And this guy is coming up fast, and I'm in the front vehicle, MRAP, on comms with my guy in the back the gunner and he's mm -hmm. like sir somebody's coming up fast and i'm like all right warn him off he's still coming up sir sir and i'm like i gotta make a call five vehicles up yes and i don't see it yeah this guy's coming up fast yep and, and he said, might be a dumbass or he might be a suicide bomber right. and you gotta make that call and you gotta live with the consequences either way let me tell you what happened almost got a, uh, an investigation on me a 15-6 we yeah. call it but i told him i said take out the hood so he takes out the hood. He, he, I said, take out the hood. Don't shoot in the vehicle. He takes out the hood, and some spall went up through there and ended up in the driver, and I ended up actually having to treat the guy on the road. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're right in front of some other base out there, and here they come out, and the commander of this base has no business talking to us, is now going to get his jag to talk to me because he's going to investigate this. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. we're going down the road, sir. We're out of here. Mm -hmm. This guy's fine. He's a bad guy. There's guns in the back seat. They were going to drive by and do something, or yeah. they were flying past us, but they're not. Yeah, anyway. I talked about it before. When you're on that gun, you have an imaginary bubble around your right. position that right. if anybody comes inside that bubble, you got a second to make a choice. Yeah, and you you run the risk of opening fire on, on a civilian who didn't realize who you were, which is right. unfathomable when you have, you see the size of an yeah. MRAP, right? <laughs> or you hesitate, and he detonates a bomb and kills your buddy. So you got a split second to make that and, decision. And having been blown up before, my my as a commander, I'm responsible for everything that happens exactly. and fails to happen. Yes. So the kid's asking me in the back, my gunner, I said, take out the hood, and if you have to, if you see something happen inside, they get out, mm -hmm. kill them. Yeah. Kill them. Yeah. Smoke yeah. them. But, I've, never but, I've never once in my career asked an officer or anybody no. else for permission to open fire. <laughs> no. I wouldn't want you to. I was sitting there like, dude, yeah. they can do it. But, yeah. but also, you know, then you now you got this guy pulling out from this base, and they came and circled us, and they, you know, protected us like really okay, thanks, yeah, thanks. Mm -hmm. But uh, now they're gonna fifteen six, and he's you know, I'm gonna talk to your commander. I'm like, well, my commander's back in Camp Phoenix anyway. Mm -hmm. Bring us back up. Uh, so the biggest things were uh, a tough trip. Six guys. You know, I've I've personally put seventeen Americans in a body bag. Damn. And it's not something I'm proud of, but I know every one of their names, and I know 
I'm really yeah. going to battery for him. And some of them are really close brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew Tico, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I was Great there that dude. day. I, and, I think uh, a lot of people knew him. He just had a big personality and he would do anything for you. He would show you. up. Yeah. Yes, he would show up to the aid station with a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah. And he'd yeah. give it to me. And I'd, and I'd give him shots in his hips so he could keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. He was hurting. Yeah. Hurting yeah. guy. And we lost a kid, and I, I won't say his name. I can talk about Tico, but I, I always ask the family, can I bring up their names? Yes mm-hmm. or no. We lost a kid, another Green Beret, his very first mission out of the gate. Very first thing. You think about that. Your whole life, you want to be a Green Beret. You yep. become one. And you step you off train the truck for years, yeah, and, and get hit, and you're, and you're out. We were doing a ramp side ceremony, and you've been to a few, I'm mm-hmm. sure, and, and it's, a, it's a solemn moment. And we were standing back, and some of the guys were coming over me, and they would confide in me, and they would talk, and they would open up, because now I'm a Green Beret. And mm-hmm. they would open up more with me. Yeah. And uh, and I would sometimes fly out to outposts out in the middle of nowhere when they lost a guy or somebody was hurt. And I would spend time with the team and actually go out with missions with them and, and just see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Watch them working, but work with them. Yeah. And that was the best medicine that could happen psychologically for some of those guys and for me. It helped me too. Mm-hmm. But I remember uh, one of the guys, we lost this kid. Uh, one of the guys came over and we were kind of teary-eyed and kind of hugging up before we went on the ramp side. And Tico came over, and he was a big guy, mm-hmm. big dude, you know, and a big black guy. And he looked down at me and said, Doc, Green Berets don't cry. If that's how we die, then that's the way we die. If something happens to me, don't you ever cry for me, because my big black ass will come back and haunt you. <laughs> that's what he said to me. <laughs> I can imagine him I will that. haunt you. You can imagine, yeah, right? Yeah. And I was like, and I got a chill when he said that. I'm mm-hmm. like, Tico, don't talk like that. Yeah. And it wasn't two weeks later. Was it? And we lost Tico. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was nothing I could do for him. Yeah. And we lost uh, him and another guy. Uh, I, I was uh, yeah. I was back in Afghanistan in 14, yeah. and I was sitting in the, uh, I put a post about this, but I was sitting in the uh, in the chow hall there at Camp Vance. Uh-huh. I was eating breakfast and have the big screen TV, and yeah. it just loops the faces of all the SF guys who died. And I'm sitting there eating, and I'm like, oh, I know him. And then I'm like, oh, I know. I was on a Q course with him, and then yeah. I'm like, Oh, I was there when he died. I I put him in the helicopter, right. and then I'm like, oh, I know him, and it just it, it hit me like a like a sledgehammer of how many guys because we're a small community, right? How many guys actually knew it, personally yeah. who died? I just got into the social media thing, so I just got on Instagram within the last you know year or so, and and me too. Now mm-hmm. I look at the Dio Presso Lee Bear site, so the Green Bray Foundation, or you know, mm-hmm. site obviously, and and yeah. you got it came on around the same time after me on Instagram, but. When those come out and they show the guys we lost, yeah. and I'll put the heart there. Sometimes I'll write something about them personally. Yeah, know? I wrote about Tico and just said what a yeah. great dad. And, Sometimes and guys will come up brother. on that feed, and I didn't realize they even died. Right, like I was on the right. Q course exactly. with them. They went to another group, and I, I lost yeah. touch with them. I'm like, oh, I know Dan, man, dude, that's awful. Guys, you, know? you went to the Q course with yeah. you recognize their face, but you yeah. may not have known their no, names. Guys were snipers when I was uh, teaching but in sniper school. When Tico said that, that was something I learned. Yeah, is that we don't we don't mourn the loss of this guy we think you know and it's actually Patton that said this we thank god that such men existed yeah yeah that's what i go to because when tico said that i guarantee when that happened and i remember closing his body bag i put my hand on his face and i was like ah, tico i'm not gonna cry but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm gonna miss you brother do you do you agree with that and, and i don't know how much this happened but it has happened in the past where a team gets hit really really hard they pull him off the battlefield for, for a while. This almost happened on one of our teams on that particular trip, and it was that guy that they had lost, that yeah. younger kid. And I say kid, he was a man, but I mean, to me, a kid. But um, And I went down, and I, I got on the bird, and I took off overnight. I didn't tell anybody I was leaving other than, you know, checking out of the, with the, with the ad, admin people at S1. 
and I showed up at the team room and uh, Chewy was there, mm-hmm. right? He was a team sergeant. And uh, he's like, what are you doing here, Doc? I said, well, you lost the guy. I'm here for you guys. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great because we're going to need you. And I showed up and Chewy, and he said, all right, Doc's on our team for the next week or so. He said he's a Green Beret, and I knew everybody anyway. Mm-hmm. But he's a team sergeant, and whatever he wants to say to his team, he says it. He said he's a Green Beret. He's going to be fighting with us, and, uh, and he's solid. But he's, he's going to be here to talk to each one of you guys. So I had to talk to him because they were thinking about pulling the team out of there. I don't like that. I, no. I, I think you should stay in place. Because and, that's part of yeah. mindset. Yes, it and is. That's what yep. Tico said. We're yeah. Green Berets. This is what we yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll mourn it later. Yeah. We'll, We'll mourn for their families later. Yeah. And when I took my first guy, I still wear his bracelet, the gunner that I had in Iraq, Jeff Saber. Mm-hmm. When I took his body home and went back and met his mom, yeah. and I thought she's going to be a hippie, you know, San Francisco, or I'm sorry, Seattle. Yeah. You no, know, it didn't matter. She's American. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. She's going to hate me maybe. She's, I don't know. She loved on me. She was sweet to me. And I told her, I said, your son died and I lived. Mm-hmm. He took my place. And she said, Live your life life his life like his life mattered. Mm. She said that to me, yeah. the wisdom of a mom. Wow. But I do. I yeah. think about it every day. I think this guy's on my wrist, you know, that's the first mm. guy that actually died in my place. Mm. Um yeah. So we don't we don't want to pull those guys off the battlefield. No. I don't I don't know that I agree with that. I don't either. I think that uh, you know, getting a getting a guy like me to go out there and talk to him and get a feel. Mm-hmm. So there's nobody that's suicidal or something. Yeah. You know, or make sure they're not going off the deep end drinking or who knows whatever else they don't. Yeah. But those guys were solid and they did well. And I was were, able were they to, willing to decompress. Talk to you? Absolutely. Really? Because mm-hmm. I had known all of them okay. from before. Yeah. You know, from yeah. the unit. Mm-hmm. And so I just know the personality and you suppress that stuff for later, well, you know, which is not healthy either, you know. They didn't all they all talked in their different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some just boom, boom, boom. I'm just blurted. I was right there, Doc, and this is what happened. Tell me what happened that day. That's how I get them to talk. Yeah. If I say, tell me how you feel, they're going to be like, I, I'm fine. They'll clamp up, yeah. Every one of us mm-hmm. will. But if, you, if I say, tell me what happened that day, mm-hmm. and I look in their eyes, mm-hmm. and they get a little emotional, that's all I need. Yeah. They're, they're talking about it, and now they're moving forward. Yeah. As soon as they talk about it, that healing starts. If yeah. they never talk about it, I've seen yeah. it happen too. Guys yeah. go home and put a pistol in their mouth. I, 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 I used to be of that mindset that... that Psh, don't be a pussy, man. Just yeah. put it all away. But I've, I've changed, you know. It's our generation. So it is, yeah. yeah. Talking about it does help. It really it does, does yeah. yeah. Talking about it, especially with people that you trust. Mm-hmm. It helps And You have to do it with people you trust. And, and guys like you or Mike Glover or, or people who are, are like pipe hitters talking about having problems and having right. depression problems and all that, it, it allows other people out there to go, oh man, if they the had problems, you know, because I thought I was the only one, right? right? And then they're like, oh, maybe, maybe I can talk about it because those guys talked about yeah, it, right? Yeah. It, it, it's a funny. The human mind is so funny. Well, we 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 want to emulate that generation that before us that that were our yeah, heroes, and yeah. we, and our and you and I especially, you know, the John Wayne people, they they didn't say anything. Yeah, my dad no, didn't say anything. No, but they drank heavily and they drank heavily, beat their wife and stuff. They did, yeah, they <laughs> did know? some crazy. things. A lot of stuff happened. Yeah, there. yeah. so we 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 don't want to emulate that, but um, yeah, so that's what I did, and and. Uh, I learned that from that mission, and I learned a lot about our mindset, our culture, especially in a tough mission when you lose six guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. two of them were Green Beret qualified, but the rest were still in mm-hmm. our unit. They were just much Green Berets yeah. in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had those guys, and uh, that's, that's that's the biggest lessons learned. But one thing that I did that I learned physiologically, this is something that I was studying stress. Once again, I studied fear, I studied stress, I studied mindset is I studied the physiology, and I knew about it from medical school, obviously. And even though I was an emergency room doctor, uh, we don't prescribe testosterone or, or hormone replacement therapy, but 
we're aware of it through our training. Well, I went ahead and, and I had heard about, you know, this, these cortisol level things and how it would affect it and, and what would happen when you're sleeping all day and you're working all night or sometimes mm -hmm. not sleeping on either one and you're out fighting and your cortisol levels are high and you're not getting that normal. I often wondered that. Rhythm. Like you, you yeah. got the, you got these green berets and, and Delta guys and Rangers and right. pipe hitters, like high testosterone guys. But after years of combat, their testosterone levels dropped to the Absolutely. floor, which is insane. I, 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 just, I never understood that. Is it the sleep deprivation? Is it it's, the stress? It's a combination is it of the, that. It's the, it's, the, it's the constant triggering of that system from the amygdala, which are our fear center, you know, is letting us know. And then certain hormones, adrenocorticotropic hormone. Okay, it's going down. It's hitting your adrenal glands. It's releasing adrenaline and noradrenaline, these two fight or flight thing. Yeah. And when you're pumping that all the time, it's overused. It, Is that it a way starts to... to affect your cortisol levels. Your normal, your normal uh, relaxation levels cannot remain the same. Yeah. You're in this fight or flight around the clock and you're not sleeping. Yeah. Which, you know, your normal circadian rhythm, when you allow that to, uh, when you, when it gets disrupted like that, mm -hmm. it's so hard to come back. Almost what everybody happened? I know has sleep yeah. problems. And, it, and yeah. it manifests in many ways, psychologically, but also physiologically on the testosterone levels. Yeah. Vitamin yeah. D levels, things like that. You think you're out in the sun all day long, but you're covered from head to toe with body armor, kit, and gloves. Mm -hmm. You're not getting vitamin D, so it's another thing we looked at. But I personally tested my testosterone before I left, and when I came back, mm. and, you know, for a guy my age, I should have been around four or 500 at the time, I come back at like 125. Wow. You know, yeah. in the gutter. Yeah. And then I had another guy, same trip. Um, he's still, no, he's out. Anyway, I was say he's a big guy, very dangerous. He, he went to the hospital to ask for testosterone. They wouldn't give it to him. And he says to them, and that's why I'm not going to say his name, he says to them at the hospital, this is how active shooters get started. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. Well, they call the MPs in there. Yeah. And yeah. I'll tell you his name later and you're going to laugh. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely him. And <laughs> so then we had to go down there and vouch for him. He's not, you know, and he said, and he had me one night. He called me after we got him out of, you know, trouble with the MPs and all that. He called me. He said, I want to get on the T. I was like, all right, I'll help you out. Mm -hmm. You know, and now this is not a typical thing that we did at our level, but I went ahead and did it. I, I went to a course. I actually sent myself to a course to learn how to do it, get certified so I could learn how to do it properly, yeah. safely. Yeah. And I did it safely, and uh, another doc, myself, we were doing it for the for the operator to keep them in the game, but also to keep uh, even guys that weren't older, but whose testosterone levels were in the gutter because of trips, yeah. we could kind of kind of boost it a little bit and help mm -hmm. them out uh, and talk to them about it and then uh, work on other techniques. But once we started that, guys were just turning around. I mm. think we, we did, I don't know, yeah, with yeah. The, with a few of our friends, and we yeah we uh, we saw them turn around. Well, well, it helps it helps mood and everything, right? It oh helps, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this one guy that that I said did the active shooter question or uh, statement in the hospital, he calls me one night about two in the morning. He's like, Doc, I got a pistol in my mouth. Oh my God! I was like, All right, I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. And I was a geographic bachelor. I was always at Bragg. I lived yeah, yeah. For, for the for the regiment. I was always at their houses. I was always in the hospital when they went. Their family went. I'd go to the hospital. I'd, I'd live there. I went to his house. I grabbed him. I was like, come over to my place. Come stay with me. So he stayed with me. And uh, we got through it. And I said, all right, what's going on? He told me. I said, well, let's just check some stuff. We checked thyroid. We checked some other things. We checked the testosterone, free in total, uh, vitamin D, all that. He's in the gutter. His thyroid mm -hmm. was fine. His testosterone was like 76. Yeah. He's a yeah. big, muscled-up guy. Yeah. And he's wasting away. And he's like, they want to throw me off the team. 
you know, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go. I got me, you know, me and my wife are having problems. I don't want to be with her. She thinks I'm fooling around. Mm. Like when we figured out the problem, we boosted it back up. We got him back on the team. He's back with his wife. Everything is good. He retired, honorable discharge, all that. Mm. What the difference between a phone call, yeah, and a trigger and the trust phone. that he yeah. would call me, yeah. Uh, but a lot of guys don't don't make that phone call. No, you know, don't. yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But um, it was a big lesson there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So when when you left third group, where did you, did you go back to? The, you went to yeah. guard at that point, right? Yeah. So I went. Yeah. I went back to guard. Went back to Oklahoma. I got a ranch. I'd like to see it a little more often. Yeah. So I go yeah. out there. I'm raising Longhorns. Uh, I go to the Texas Guard, but what I did was this was my little mm, way to hide. I uh, because I had an 18 Alpha uh, AOC, but I also had a 61 November flight surgeon and a couple others in the medical realm. But uh, I apply or I I turned in my paperwork for to the recruiter as an 18 Alpha. So I went to Guard as an 18 Alpha, and they mm -hmm. sent me down to uh, not as a doctor, not as a doctor, yeah, yeah, uh, as a, as a special forces uh, officer. And I went down there and uh, went to 19th Group. We have two elements uh, in Texas, 19th Group, two companies, and we have another element, a, a detachment of special operations in the state. And that's where I'm at now. But uh, I go down there, and I was a training detachment commander, and then I took uh, a company downrange and went as an XO because they didn't want me to be the CO not having team time. But then mm -hmm. I got some team time with uh, one of the teams there, and we went to Jordan. And did a FID operation, so okay. Foreign Internal Defense Training Jordanian mm -hmm. Special Operations Forces, uh, traditional six month tour. Casadic. Uh, Casadic. Yep. Yep. Mm. Been there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a it's a beautiful training facility. It is. It's just it's in a valley of you know like it a is. quarry, yeah. and if you're ever going to be surrounded by people, the worst. It's a one of <laughs> one of the worst places I've ever driven a car is is Amman, Jordan. Yes, Apparently, Amman. to make a right turn, you have to be in the left lane and yeah, yeah. cut in front of everybody. Got, what is it? Seven circles there. Oh, you got to go God, through these circles. Man, it's exhausting. And then uh, the town of Zarka, where Zarkawi is from. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We you could take that shortcut to get to Amman, but they didn't want you to. That's a bad. And you you get drive a through bad there, feeling there. Real bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was able to experience that, um, also then to work in my field. Mm -hmm. However, and this is where it happened, came time for my promotion from major to Lieutenant Colonel. I didn't put my paperwork in. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. So I was away. I was overseas again, working <laughs> for another job, just, you know, doing some work overseas. And, uh, I come back and there's an email and it says, by the way, you've been promoted lieutenant colonel. They figured out you're a doctor, and you are now in the engineer brigade as the surgeon. Yeah. Like, what? Mm -hmm. What is this? God, I don't even know how to man. operate in a conventional army. Yeah. In the first day, they 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 gig me like five times for my uniform, you know, because yeah. we're not known for no. being the best on uniforms. Yeah. Uh, but I, I fell in line, and, and we did some good things for them. They went into their summer training, and et cetera, and then nothing eventful there. But I was able to get in with the special operations unit out of uh, Austin, Texas, and it's been, it's been great. Same unit Mike was in. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, I heard you he guys talking about it. He was a sergeant major there. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I fell behind him. I didn't know him there, but uh, yeah, we we've got a similar lineage in our companies. Yeah. Yeah. Our units. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I I know you did stuff over back east with some three-letter organizations yeah. that we're not going to talk about, but, um. So as we move forward, so I, 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 I've known you since I was a team sergeant, probably about 10 years now, yeah, actually, yeah. that went quick. But um, yeah, and we've been in touch periodically, mm -hmm. but but I, I, I reached out a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, Pete, you want to come come help us run this course, man? 
And initially you were like, I can't, they got this sort of commitment, yeah, but you were able yeah. to get out of it. So you're here now. So um, we're looking to the future and, and where we go from here and yeah. how Pete fits into the whole Fieldcraft survival. And obviously a guy like you can do a lot of stuff. You can teach shooting, you can teach land nav, you can right. teach all, almost anything we do. Um, but there's also this whole piece about Fieldcraft survival fit and, right. and mental awareness and physical awareness and, you know, um, uh, age management and all that piece. Yeah. Like, it, it's pretty exciting what, 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 what we talked about yesterday. Yeah, having that conversation with you and Mike yesterday was, was really eye-opening into the, all the different facets of things that I've been doing for the regiment, mm -hmm. for the operators. I mean, heck, training Afghans how to shoot AKs. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. All these things, those skill sets that I learned through yeah. the years. Yeah, I mean, right before y'all got here, I was out moving cattle out in the mountains. Of, I know, yeah, that's uh, wild. Uh, uh, East, west of here, yeah. Uh, but those those skill sets all come to play, and when we can put it all together in a in a and help people learn yep. the things that we have, yeah. But once again, the ba building block for it is, is mindset. Yes, it you absolutely know, now you're, is. You're, 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 I always tell people your body's a weapon system. Yeah. All right. Now that may be a little militaristic for civilians, but it is a weapon system when it comes time to be used as a weapon system. Yeah. And you got to maintain it. So that's where the field craft survival fit comes in, because mm -hmm. you'll have some pretty good guys out there doing some. I've seen some programs that you got put out for workout of the day kind of stuff, and and uh, the nutrition things and all that. And I can help with that, but you got special or you got subject matter ac experts already doing that. But where I fit in on on the fit part is obviously on the mindset stuff, the age management, but also there are different ways to bring people up to speed from different. Uh, levels of brokenness mm -hmm. let's just say mm. when we come back from a deployment and guys are broken part of my job was to get them back to work yeah not to go back to work to be a, a clerk or to work at a desk yeah but to be a super soldier right, right? yeah all right you want to be a super soldier you come to me and i'll get you back there quickly yeah but we'll do it the right way so if you're yeah. broken don't don't be disheartened we can fix it yeah. if you're older listen my age i'm 55 now yeah i'm not saying that i could do what i did then but i'm as good once as i ever was yeah yeah you know? And, yeah. I'm, and I'm somewhat fit, and I'm and I'm uh, I'm going to try to you know maintain it. Mm -hmm. um, but I can take people that are broken, and I can take people that are you know now there, there are certain things you can't do, but we can modify a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, you're missing a limb, we can modify things. We can we can work with you. Uh, we'll get you there to where you can walk down the street and feel comfortable, and maybe not look like you know Lou Ferrigno or you know uh, the, the Terminator, mm -hmm. but you can feel confident that you can take care of yourself, mm -hmm. that you can survive. You can survive extremes. Mm. That you can survive. You may not be kicking a door in Afghanistan. Yeah. But you're going to be taking care of your family. You're going to yeah. take care of yourself. You're not going to be have mentally fear. strong, which will lead you to be physically strong, right? Physically strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and all those things start with that building block, and it, and that's where the reason why I came aboard. I was reading all your stuff, and then you were talking to me about it, and I think we've talked about it several times. And I just kind of like, well, but I got all this other stuff I'm doing. I'm juggling this. I'm juggling that, and now I just want to focus on one thing and yeah. making it. And yeah, it's something and, that I believe in. And there's a there's a there's a great calling to train patriotic Americans, right? I oh won't say gosh. all Americans. I'll say the patriotic <laughs> yeah. Americans, the people right. who love this country, to be able to give back to them right. and give them a, a glimpse of the world we've lived their whole life and train them in some of the skill sets so they're more confident and they're able to defend their families and they're able to live a longer, healthier life. There, there's a there's a calling there, right? You know, and, to give back. And I'm gonna say, you know. When you 
uh, when you think about why, you know, why you keep going back to combat, why you keep going doing this, yeah. you know, it's, it's really, it's the guys left and right of you that mm-hmm. you're working with. True. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But, uh, but if you look at a bigger picture and you, you know, the older you get, sometimes you, you think more. I do. You yeah. Know, I, I, I pontificate sometimes. Yeah. I wonder about my life. Did I do, did I leave a good legacy? Am I, why did I do this stuff? And there are Americans out there. Every American is under, is subject to our protection, mm-hmm. regardless of what they believe in. Yeah. You know, whether they're a shit bag or whether whatever in our, mm-hmm. in our de- definition, or they're a great patriot, but they're all worthy of our lives mm-hmm. being forward downrange. Mm-hmm. But what I say to people when they tell me, thank you for your service, because I know that they care. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether they're left leaning or right leaning, but if they say that to me, I tell them you're worth it. Yeah. Okay. I read it in a book. A guy wrote a book about mm-hmm. it. It's a Medal of Honor winner, Marine. Yeah. Uh, called "You're Worth It." You That's a good answer. I might steal that because I, I find I find it very uncomfortable what do you say? when people say that to yeah. me. You I know? read this guy's book and it was genius. And he was yeah. talking about being in a cab and this you know cabbie told him, "Hey, thank you for your service." And he didn't know what to say. He goes, "Okay, you're worth it." And he thought about it. And the more he thought about it, he thought, "That's perfect. You yeah. are worth it." So and I tell people that, and I and I stop him for a second. I said, "Thank you, and you're worth it." Yeah. You know, and they just look at you like, "Wow." He said, "I'm worth it." Yeah, but I believe that, and I and I and I think that you know we're America is such a melting pot of different types and personalities. And now there are some people out there that you know I just like to roll up tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know some of these yeah. uh, uh, Antifa types, but hey, you mm-hmm. know we got to we got to uh, we got to stick together in this fight. And so those people that come out, and I've met some of them in your training uh, training classes. Oh, they're um, great people. They're, they're great Americans. People. They're great Americans. Yeah, they they're really all are. those that are worth it. Yep, absolutely. and some of them, you know, have some experience and some have no experience, but they mm-hmm. all walk away with something, and and it's that confidence and that's that first block mm-hmm. and that mindset. Yeah, regardless if you're pulling the trigger on a pistol, mm-hmm. a long gun, learning how to build a fire, riding a horse in the mountains and snow, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. they walked away with more confidence, and yep. they all translate back down to that building block of mindset. Yep, and it makes them a better American. And it oh, makes yeah. America better, all right? So yeah. that, that's our goal, right? To prepare citizens for the worst-case scenario. Yeah. That's our, our the mission contingency statement. Is, uh, you know, the, the contingency is there. Yeah, yeah. got to have it. Um, let, me, let me wrap this up and, yeah. and just get your uh, opinion on coronavirus because as a doctor right. and, and as a, a military officer, mm-hmm. and I know you've been heavily involved in some of this stuff. Yeah. I don't know how much yeah. you can talk about, but just, just say... Just give me your your, your two minute synopsis yeah, of, of uh, coronavirus. When I came back from one of my trips downrange um, in February, we got hit with it roughly in March yeah. of this year. Mm-hmm. And I went, you know, I'm in the Texas Guard, so we uh, I got assigned to a team. And I'm be careful here because I don't want to say yep. anything that uh, I would yep. cross any lines. But but I'll say that I got assigned to the COVID mission, mm-hmm. and so initially more as a liaison and helping get things started. Because when you looked at the first information coming out it could have been ebola it could have been the worst possible yes, virus ever. yes now i'm not bear in mind people i am a simple country doctor okay that's what i call myself um mercy well family practice trained mercy room urgent care uh trauma medicine i am not an immunologist nor a virologist but i'll say that i know enough about it to know that it wasn't ebola okay it is a virus that is dangerous to a certain subject uh uh, of population, certain section of population that is debilitated, morbidly obese, lung disease, smokers, vapors, any of those kind of things, you set yourself up for a more debilitating course, mm-hmm. okay? Possibly death. Mm. can kill people. 
Some of the numbers they found out from the CDC have not been counted correctly, so it's probably less than we think, but it's it's enough to say it's like a bad influenza year. Yeah. Okay, influenza has mm-hmm. been around forever, influenza mm-hmm. A and B. We've, we've had it forever. And it's it's something that we would normally protect ourselves. I think that when we politicized it, we it, it really, uh, as a soldier being assigned to work this, I do whatever they tell me to do. Mm. But deep down inside, I got my own personal feelings about it. But I think that if you exercise what you would normally do when you got a normal virus, you stay home, you do whatever, you quarantine yourself, you don't cough on people, you don't spit on people, you don't share the cups, just be smart. Yeah. Um, we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can mutate. It can change. It obviously has because now these cases that are coming out are not as bad as the initial cases yeah. where people put on the vent. Yeah. Sometimes you learn things the hard way and you find out maybe not so much we needed to put them on the vent right away, but do X, Y, Z. Yeah. So there's a lot of TTPs that have been built or a lot of uh, tech clinical practices that have been built around uh, hindsight's 2020. We, we say that we were building the plane in flight. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, Overall, I'd say it, it's, uh, we're going to come out of this okay. It's just unfortunate how it's been politicized. politicized. Yeah, and then there was funding, in, uh, a tied, federal funding a, a tied to numbers of cases in Correct. some cases, right? So they were oh. inflating the numbers of cases to get money from the federal government, and, yeah. which is fraud, and people yes. should be prosecuted for that. Right. But, uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Okay. All right, Pete. Hey, that was great. I really appreciate you yeah. coming on the podcast, Thanks, and I can't wait to see what we've got coming down the the pipeline in, in Fieldcraft yeah, and Fieldcraft yeah. Survival Fit and mental agility and mindset and all that stuff. Right. That, that that's It's a massive subject that really hasn't been handled by anybody else properly, I think. There's little bits and pieces here and there's here and there, but uh, the the, uh, the the total mind and body thing I, I think is huge and, and I can't wait to see what we come up with. So right. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah. Thank all you, right. America. Yep. That's right. it. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive.